The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for mature audience. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guest and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a Crown Vic. Oh, hey there. How's it going? Welcome to another fun, excited, action-packed edition of the Very Poorly Made Police Memes podcast. I am your host, Lenny. I got a podcast I think you guys are going to enjoy. I speak to a uh, Texas cop. and we, I know we've visited Texas a few times, but this uh, guy was involved in an officer-involved shooting, so we're going to talk about his experiences. And I think, you know, the big thing with this podcast is I wanted to kind of show that there's different emotions and not everybody handles things the same exact way. And I think that's, uh, I don't know, I think it's just good information to have out there. And, you know, we don't talk the whole episode about the shooting. We actually get into FTO things, which we've kind of talked about a little bit on the podcast, but we haven't. So um, that was a good good segment. I, I got to be honest, this was one I really, really enjoyed recording. He's a really good dude, and I think you guys are going to like the podcast. Now, before we get to the podcast, I have a few things for you. But first, you got to give big thanks to... Our friends over at OfficerPrivacy.com, they sponsor each and every Sunday podcast for you. And look, everything, everything's still crazy going on in the world. Nothing's changed since last week. Look at the incident in Akron with the officers involved in that. I, I saw a news article where there's bounties on the heads of the officers. I don't know if that's true or not, but look, you could be involved in one of these critical nationwide incidents and people are going to try to figure out who you are and put your information online so assholes can come to your house and cause problems. That's why I pay for the peace of mind of officer privacy. I signed up for their premium service. It's just a weight lifted off my shoulders. I just don't have to worry about anybody, you know, if God forbid they figure out who I am, my information's just not there for the taking. I search my name on these people search sites. I'm not there. It's fantastic product. I can't say enough about it. And you know, a couple months ago, I talked to Pete James, the founder and owner of Officer Privacy. Great guy, cops cop. This is a trustworthy guy. So check out officerprivacy.com. And of course, I got all the links and all that good stuff in the podcast description. Now, before we get into the podcast, I got, and it's a longer podcast, so I'll try and make this kind of short and sweet. And we'll talk more about some of these types of things in about... I don't know, two, three weeks, I'm going to have the state of the Poorly Made Police Meme podcast. We'll do some fun stuff with that, too. And full transparency, I've re-recorded this part because I, I just can't get across what I want to convey. But hopefully you guys 
can kind of hear me out. Really briefly in this podcast, I talk about the school shooting down there in Texas. Uh, look, I'm, I have a lot of thoughts and opinions on it. Something that I should probably add is that I recorded this podcast like weeks before, so a lot of stuff has changed. I know the video just came out the last couple days of the hallway, and I need to find some time to watch that so I can make an informed decision on everything too. But even with that, keep in mind, guys, there's going to be body camera footage. There's going to be dispatch information. There's going to be a lot more information coming in. So just shit to think about. I'm not ready to kind of come out and say a whole lot of shit because me personally, I want to know more. And even what, you know, the the few things I said on the podcast about it, I mentioned, you know, uh, some information that may have been, might be true, might be a conflict. I don't know what it is with this particular case. But just every, since the very beginning of this thing, something will come out. Uh, I mean, I posted something originally about, you know, that was a Border Patrol guy went in there, fucking balls of the wall and did it himself kind of thing. And that came from a reliable source. And then we find out that maybe wasn't actually true. Or maybe he was in the stack. Or I don't know, you know, like, for instance, there, you know, we heard, you know, the door was left open. And then it was closed, but it wasn't locked. And then the interior door where the classroom is, we heard they were trying to get keys to get in there. And then we heard that it was actually unlocked. And then then we heard it might have got relocked again. And there's just been so much misinformation. And I don't know. I've just I've seen a lot of shitty things from good people because this is a, an emotionally charged thing. We're talking about children being killed. Um, my kids or at least one of my kids, is fucking terrified anywhere time we go out because he's so afraid of the shootings because he sees them in the news all the time. It, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going on, and I just really wanted to briefly address that before he got into the podcast because I, I said some stuff, and I'm not going to like go through and delete everything. It, it's just It is what it is. But I just want people to kind of keep in mind with this and really with anything out there there is just so much misdirection because people make money off of it is the bottom line. So, and I know I've said that, you know, if people want me to, at some point I'll do kind of a breakdown of my thoughts and opinions on this. If people want it, if people don't want it, I mean, like, let's be honest, man. I don't know if you guys fucking follow my podcast for hard hitting takes on shit. I don't know. I don't think I'm that guy. I, my intent with this is, is really I want to fucking kind of be an escape from all this shit. I mean, obviously, it's a police podcast. We're going to shit's going to come up, but I don't want this to be the fucking the same thing as everybody else where every single page is doing their hot take on everything that comes out that day. And it's all the same for the most part. And it just kind of gets old. I, I hope that this is just kind of a place for, you know, cops or people that want to get in law enforcement or, or whoever to come and learn more about policing, you know, guys across the country, learn more about, you know, that maybe some of us are experiencing the same things or different things or hear different perspectives and all that. And just to fucking be entertaining and tell dick jokes occasionally. And, you know, we'll laugh to cry. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together. But I just, I don't know. That was kind of a wild tangent for basically saying I said some shit on the podcast that I don't know if it's factual or not yet. So anyway, 
word of the wise on that. Um, I'll play a little bit of music for you guys, and we'll get into the podcast with my good buddy from Texas, Squirrely Dan. Now, if any of you guys didn't know, and I probably do a really shitty job of addressing this, but any of the music I play on the podcast, it's from cops. So it's either a cop in a band or a cop that records music on their own. So I'm not just playing like any old band. So check these bands out. Uh, I'm going to play Seth Mills today. Fucking great country music. And if anybody listening to the podcast, you're in a band or you know a cop in a band and you know they want to get plugged a little bit for fucking free, shoot me a message and I'll get their music on here. All right, we'll be right back after Seth Mills. Rolling fast, burning up this road. I can hear those 33s humming down below. Remember back, roll the radio down for me. When we were Jack and Diane in this modern world, my hands between your knees. And now the moment you didn't know you'd been waiting for, I have Squirrely Dan. Now, I understand we've had a Squirrely Dan before, but we're operating in the multiverse, so this is Squirrely Dan from a different multiverse. Squirrely Dan, how are you? I'm doing good, man. You're in the land of Texas, which is the land of my exes, and everything's bigger down there, right? (laughs) Can confirm. Good for you, buddy. What I've heard about Texas is there's this wonderful gas station called Bucky's. Can you confirm if it's wonderful or not? It's a very special, magical place, yes. What's so cool about it, though? Is it one uh, of those things where I need to plan a trip to go to Bucky's? I wouldn't plan a trip to go there, but if you happen to pass by one, I would definitely stop by. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I know they're building uh, one in my home state of Colorado, but we'll see. Maybe for Christmas when I go back. I'll go, go to Bucky's. Now, now, a time-honored tradition on this podcast sometimes is uh, I like to find out what my co-host is drinking. You having a little drink tonight, good sir? I am actually. I'm actually uh, having the National Beer of Texas, Shinerbach, which, being the fourth or fifth person from Texas, I'm disappointed nobody's brought it up before. And then I got a little whiskey and coke crafters. Well, obviously you got to have the whiskey and coke. What's it? What, you call it a Shinerbach? Chinabock, yep. It's made here in uh, Texas. I've never heard of it. Is it just uh, an amber, or what, what do you got going on there? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a little bit heavier than a Yingling, but not to the level like an IPA. So if you like Yingling, you probably like Shiner. Okay. Myself, uh, I'm not doing anything special. I've really been into the bush lattes lately, so I'm uh, drinking one for the farmers today, and uh, I got the apple one lined up for after. Call me a bitch if you may, but let's be honest. The bit, the butch, the bush light apple is fantastic. I'll take your word on that. I don't, I don't do like the fruit flavored beers, but there's nothing wrong with bush lattes. I'm telling you, you got to try it. It's, it doesn't taste like a normal fruit flavor beer. That's for certain. All right. Maybe I'll try one just for you. Then. I believe in you. Well, enough about me and uh, beer. Let's talk about you a little bit. So how long have you been in law enforcement for? Uh, a little over five years. Yeah, All right. 
what was your uh, drive to get in law enforcement? Well, it wasn't really like a, like a one single thing. It was, um, you know, as a kid, to be honest, I was scared of everything. I was a scared little kid, you know, and the few times I saw cops, they were like these big, strong dudes with awesome mustaches, by the way. And uh, I just, you know, I just kind of wanted to be them. And then uh, growing up in the 90s, you know, cops was a big thing on TV. And again, you got these, you know, mostly big, strong dudes uh, chasing down bad guys and just having fun, man. And, you know, they didn't seem to be scared of anything. So I just kind of was like always drawn to that, you know. And then um, my grandfather wanted to be a cop, but uh, he was too short, you know, back in the days of height requirements. Uh, he wanted to be a state trooper, but, you know, he was feeling just too short. And uh, so after school, you know, he picked me up from school and we'd watch uh, In the Heat of the Night on TV, which if anybody hadn't seen it, it's an awesome police show from the 80s. And so I just kind of, you know, was enamored with it and decided to, that's what I wanted to do with my life. So here we are five and a half years later. Dude, I forgot about the height requirement thing. Somebody mentioned uh, it to me a while back and uh, I didn't really dive into it, but <laughs> strange, you know, they imagine that right now, a height requirement. They can't fucking find anybody to be a cop. And then they had a height requirement on top of that. We desperately need people, but it is too short. So yeah, my grandfather was like five, six, five, seven on a good day. And back then the minimum was like five, nine, five, ten. So it was just a little under. I didn't realize it was that high. I thought, you know, we're, you know, if you're like hovering like five, two, five, three, I mean, five, six, five, seven, I mean, it's short, but it's not that short. Exactly. And that was a big thing back in the day was it was like five, nine, five, ten, especially with state agencies, like state troopers. And that's what he was trying to be, a trying to be a state trooper. Uh, but they were real big on the height requirements it was especially in Texas in particular. It was, if you weren't five, 11, six foot, you probably weren't getting hired back in the day. Let's talk about Texas a little bit and specifically the troopers. And I've, I've kind of brought this up a little bit and I'm, I'm just curious based on some current events. And then a subject of one of my recent podcasts where one of the a guy in Texas had been charged and a state trooper, you know, was kind of responsible for indicting him. What is the reputation yeah. of troopers in Texas? So it kind of depends on where you're at. Um, non-cops, in tech, uh, just regular citizen Texans, you ask them about troopers, the answer is, well, they're all dicks. They're very stern most of the time, they're very stiff and formal on traffic stops. Uh, you know, it's yes, sir, no, sir. It, it's changing. There's a whole lot of new younger guys in nowadays. So that's kind of the, that old way is kind of going away. Um, I love my troopers, man. I work with them pretty often. Uh, my city, you know, we handle everything. We, we do our own wrecks, all that. Um, but you know, our city's pretty, pretty violent. So there's a lot of stuff to be found. So the troopers in our area will come in our city and play and find stuff. Um, but for the most part, they're good guys. Um, you know, they're out there by themselves with 20, 30 minute backup times most of the time. And so they kind of have to be, you know, a little bit of a hard ass, but for the most part, man, they're good dudes. Um, the county deputies love them because they work all their reps you know, very few county deputies work their own rights. Troopers do them all for them. Say what you will about the deputies, but there's something about, there are some things about deputy life that are fantastic. That being oh, yeah. one of them, depending on where you that are. In the oh, they don't do the guys either. <laughs> Here, take my drunk, take my wreck. 
I'll go play and find something else. Are you serious? They don't even do their own deuces? Oh, yeah. The the sheriff's deputy across the river from me, they uh, – half their guys aren't even SFST certified. They hand them off to, to the uh, to the troopers. That's fucked up, man. We, we had a guy come to work for my agency from a sheriff from a small sheriff's department uh, a couple counties north of us. He had like five, six years experience, hadn't done one DWI. He handed them all off to the trooper. You had mentioned when we were going back and forth that you're you're pretty passionate <laughs> about the DUIs. Yeah, um, for whatever reason, I just got into them. Um, I did one in training, and I was it was a gimme one. It was one of those, they're so messed up that you couldn't even really do the SFSTs. Uh, I did another one. I jacked it all up to the point my FTO was like, yeah, we're not even doing this anymore. Um, and, you know, in training in the academy, they kind of scare you. It's like, oh, you know, DWI is horrible. There's so much work. There's, you know, you get killed on the stand, this, that, and the other. And so I was like, man, I don't, I don't want that to happen to me. So when I got cut loose, I had to learn really fast. And for whatever reason, they just kept finding me, like straight out the gate. Like my first six months had like 12 DWIs. They just, they just found me. They didn't go looking for me. They just found me. And so I was like, man, I need to learn fast and get good at this stuff because for some reason I keep finding them. And uh, once I kind of figured out the paperwork and the rhythm and kind of developed my style of doing it, I found out, man, I'm good at these. And they're really not that hard. The paperwork takes 20 minutes at the most. And I just, I don't know, I got good at it. And now, over five years later, I've done 102 of my own and about 150 total. It's pretty solid numbers. You getting the Matt Awards? I've gotten two of them, yeah. Good for you, man. Well, a story about that. I should have actually had four, uh, but two years in a row, my department forgot the nominees. <laughs> Goes to show you how our brass is. You brought something up that was near and dear to me and kind of triggered me a little bit. So my dad was like huge into the DUIs. That was something really important to him. He was really good at them. You know, I went on ride-alongs when I was a teenager and he was getting all these DUIs. When I was out, I kind of got the same thing. Like, oh, DUIs are such a pain in the ass. And it, they almost scare you away from them as you're starting yeah. out. It, and I didn't, I didn't shy away from it. If I had a DUI, I would do it. Now, if there's a DUI car around and people are going to scream like, you guys got DUI cars? Yeah, we did. It was awesome. They were around, I'd fucking let them have it because they're the experts. But, you know, if I had to do it, I had to do it. No big deal. Yeah. But I remember this fella. Oh, I almost said his name. That would have been fucked up. But I remember, you know, one of our DUI guys, he's like, yeah, I know that it's not a big deal. You just have to know what you're talking about and know the book. And, you, you know, you guys have that fucking crazy SFST, SFST book. And... Mm -hmm he said that and that made me even more terrified of DUIs. like fuck that's a big fucking book he's like yeah you just need to memorize all that stuff and it's not a big deal and i'm looking at the book in my fucking war bag and i'm like this is like 200 pages i ain't memorizing this shit so i think for some of us DUIs can be pretty daunting yeah and that's true um like i said i don't fault anybody that doesn't want to do them right um i have guys call me all the time hey man i got to be you want it? yeah i'll be there five minutes um, I have no problem taking it unless you're just an officer that is one of those that just skates everything and lazy, then I'm going to tell you to do your own. But most part, I have no problem taking them from people. I really don't. Um, I'd rather an officer who's not super comfortable doing it, call me and we do it right. And maybe they learn something while watching, than just let them go or give them a ride or 
or whatever. So, yeah, a lot of people, maybe they're just not comfortable with them or good at them, and, and that's okay, right? You know, you can't be perfect at everything. I'm not perfect at everything. DWIs just have, have to be something I'm good at. So, Yeah, I think that's definitely one of those things that some people just pick up and they really understand it. It's like anything, you know, there, there's cops that are really good at the dope stuff and they really pick up the indicators and they're great at it where, you know, some guy might walk by a kilo in plain view. I mean, obviously that's, that shouldn't happen, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's some people that they may be great at the tactical stuff, but if you give them a run of the mill domestic, they, mm. they, they don't know what to do. They don't know what P you know, what the PC is. They don't know the proper paperwork. They don't know the, you know, the right statutes. So so funny story about what you just talked about domestics and talking going back to the state and the Rangers. Um, a few years back, we had a big hurricane. They nationally news, everything in our area got totally flooded, right? Well, in the aftermath, we were on emergency 12-hour shifts and we had a bunch of state troopers and about 15 rangers come to the town to help us out. And you know, Texas Rangers, right? They're the, the top of the law enforcement period in the state, right? We handled this bullshit family disturbance, crazy old lady, her and her son get into it. She's hammered drunk. It's a nothing disturbance. I'm still in field training, right? I'm like late in training, you know, still got my trainer with me. I handle this like it's nothing, right? And I look over and I see this ranger. He's like got this big shitty grin on his face, right? And he's like bouncing up and down all excited. And we finished the call and afterwards. He was like, dude, that was awesome. He's like, that was like an episode of Cops from the 90s. Like, man, what you talking about? He's like, I was like, it's Tuesday. We handle these all the time. I was, and I was like, so you just hadn't done one of these in a while? Goes, Dude, I've never done one of these. So, you know, state troopers, man, they don't get a lot of the experience that, that we do. So, and this guy's a ranger. He's never handled domestic disturbance, right? So different strokes for different folks. You know, that's right. And sometimes you do it left-handed. <laughs> you got to do the southpaw. Keep it fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you sit on your hand just to never mind. Anyway, um, I guess to transition to something very off topic back. Um, I don't know, probably before Christmas around episode 47. So in the first season, um, I talked to my buddy Heath and he, he was a cop and he went through some traumatic stuff, including an OIS and how it fucked him up. And you sent me a message and you're like, Hey man, you know, I just wanted to reach out about resiliency and I was involved in an OIS and I had kind of a a different reaction to all that. Yeah. And when you sent me that message, I was like, I got to get him on because I I think it's very, to get on my soapbox real quick. I think that people are kind of pigeonholed into how they're supposed to feel about things or how they're supposed to react to things. And that's just not right. Now, there's obviously like there's a line where you can't like, oh, this bad thing happened to him. It, don't mind that he, you know, set the church on fire and killed a bunch of nuns. Like obviously, there's I think there's a wide spectrum of how you should mm-hmm. act after being involved in a critical incident, right. without you know crossing lines. But with that said, it is a wide spectrum. And so you know when you messaged me, you were like, hey, I went through this and like I was totally fine, no issues at all. So. I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell your story about, you know, a, the incident and then, you know, be kind of the aftermath and, and now how you're dealing with all of it. Yeah, not a problem. And I remember that episode, you, I think you had actually asked if anybody had had that opposite reaction. That's what prompted me to bring that up. And uh, yeah, so uh, late 2018, 
it was that little lull between Christmas and New Year's, right? It was a Friday afternoon. Um, I work evening shifts, so mid-afternoon to midnight. Um, come in for work. Uh, man, we had a – you know how some officers say they have, like, a feeling that something bad was going to happen that day? I, I didn't have it yet. In fact, our shift meeting that day was a blast. I mean, it was hilarious. And <laughs> this, I, I, I will, to the day I die, argue that the shooting is my lieutenant's fault because uh, he had the genius idea to say in front of everybody that it's his Friday. He's the only supervisor. And he doesn't want any paperwork today. So, uh, you know, I had to help him out with that one. That's basically um, like saying the keyword. Exactly. Exactly. But you know, we had a great shift meeting. Uh, it was a blast, a lot of laughs. I did try and literally mount one of my coworkers. <laughs> you say mount? <laughs> yes, yes. He he did not like that kind of stuff, so I had to you know push the buttons. Um, gotcha. Exactly. You know, ball busting, right? So hit the street. My lieutenant asked me to check out this house in my area that had been broken into the night before. Keep an eye on it. They couldn't lock it up. Owners out of town. Just keep an eye on it. Kind of okay, cool. Uh, I hadn't been there last night, so I was like, you know, I'm going to swing by there in the daylight, take a look at it. That way I kind of have a feel for it in case I got to go back out here. I do my thing, check the house, everything looks good, and I'm like, man, I got to take a leap. So there's a fire station nearby, and I'm like, I'm going to go take a leap. So I go a couple blocks, I turn left to go towards the fire station, and I'm on the north side of a big four-lane highway, right? It's our main east-west highway in the city, right? On the other side of the highway, I see three people in the dead center of the street walking towards me. And you can tell from a hundred yards away, they're messed up there. It's literally like a zombie show. They're all staggering all over the place. And I'm like, Oh, great. Um, I'm gonna put the blinders on. I'm gonna turn right here, go around them, go to the fire station. Yeah. I don't want to deal with this. Right. And then I see a truck come up. It almost hits one of them. I'm like, okay, great. Now I got to deal with this. Um, so I start rolling towards them. And I see the big guy, the biggest one of them in the middle, has a machete in his hands. Oh, great. You know, in that situation, you probably should wait, right? But he was about to be on this four-lane highway, traffic flowing back and forth. I, I knew I had to act. Um, I really couldn't wait. If we tried to wait, it would be even more dangerous. So I call out, you know, show me on this guy, uh, this location. He's got a machete. Send me some backup, right? Um cross the highway, jump out, immediately start giving commands, drop the knife, drop the knife. And as I got close to him, I could tell he's, he's whacked out his mind on PCP. Um, we have a big PCP problem in my town. I've dealt with a lot of people on it. In about, you know, two seconds, you can tell somebody's messed up on it. And I'm like, oh, great. This is going to get bad. So I give him commands, give him commands, give him commands. He, keeps, he literally turned and advanced at me. And he's got the machete in his hands and he's waving. He's like playing with it, twirling it. And he's got this look on his face. It's like, I'm about to cut your head off. So give him commands, give him commands. He keeps advancing. Finally, it gets to the point, you know, can't give you commands anymore. And I end up having to, to shoot him. Um, he was a big dude, bigger than me, really high on PCP. It took eight rounds. So I had to shoot him eight times to, to get him to stop. Like literally, he just kept coming at me, soaking up rounds. And I was like, this is bad. And then finally, he gets, um, cavalry gets there, lock in the scene. And uh, I, you know, secure the weapon, get backup coming. I mean, get EMS coming, 
start setting up a perimeter, you know, everything, right? My lieutenant gets there. I brief him on what happens. And our policy is um, we leave the scene after, like, the officer involved in the shooting leaves the scene and goes to the station. So that's our policy. So I go to the station. And thankfully, there was another officer on duty that day who he was the last officer in our department to have to shoot somebody a couple of years before. So I immediately had somebody there who had been through this and they were able to kind of walk me through, this is what's going to happen. This is what they're going to say. Um, this is what you might feel and all that. And I mean, honestly, I was cool with it. Like not cool with it, but like, I wasn't all torn up. I wasn't like a emotional wreck or anything. You know, I was coming down from adrenaline high. So there was a little bit of, you know, I was shaking and stuff, but that was just from, from a crash. Right. And so the hardest part of the whole thing was probably that isolation, right? Not having my, my guys with me, not being around the brothers, right? Because uh, the guy riding to my, to my, beside me was one of my best friends in the job. And, you know, I didn't really get a chance to talk to him or anything like that. So that, that kind of sucked, but it was just that forced isolation, right? Um, you know, talk to my attorney, the union attorney comes in that day. He's a good dude. And for those of y'all that, you know, have union attorneys, I highly suggest you use them, right? They are a great resource. They save your ass. And if anybody's listening to this that doesn't have a, a union or association or anything, I would at least have an attorney in mind if the situation happens to you because nobody needs a lawyer until they need a lawyer, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was it. I came out with a knife or a machete, tried to kill me, and he brought a knife to a gunfight. Um, and it was, you know, such a clear cut, you know, situation that, like I said, it wasn't, I wasn't really affected by, it. you know, I gave him commands. I gave him every opportunity to stop, put the weapon down, do what I ordered him to do. And he made the choice to come try and kill me. And so I was like, I mean, there's, there's no gray area here. And I think that's what really helped me was, it's like, I gave him the opportunity he didn't comply. He forced me to do what I did. Was that your immediate, when I say immediate, you know, within the first couple of days, like processing it, like, Hey, this happened. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do it. It just is, is what it is. I had to do it. And you kind of moved on from it within, you know, a couple of days or did that take you some time to come to that conclusion? Yes and no. Um, immediately I knew it was, it was, you know, me or him, right? I gave him commands. I gave him so many commands. I gave him plenty of space to stop. And so I was like, I know I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't, I knew I didn't violate any laws or policies or anything. I knew there was, I mean, it's so cut and dry um, that it was like exactly what I was saying. Um, that it was me or him and he chose to try and kill me, he lost. And that's kind of what I, the first few days was, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And, and also, it didn't hurt that the internal affairs investigator for my department had been in two officer involved shootings of his own. And our internal affairs, the head of internal affairs was my boss on patrol immediately before he became internal affairs and had been in some plenty of shit himself. So I knew I wasn't going to get screwed by my department. Um, you know, those two were, were solid. They took care of me. I mean, they really took care of me that night. They actually fought for me. The city tried to pull some stuff that night, not the department, the city. 
tried to overstep themselves and pull something that night. Nobody still knows why they did it. I don't know. But Can you talk about that a little up. bit or no? Yeah, it wasn't anything major. It, it was, for whatever reason, they were trying to send me somewhere else to get my blood drawn. Right? Anytime you're involved in shooting, they take a sample of your blood to make sure you're not going to influence anything. And our procedure in the department has always been to go to this local hospital. The RN draws blood, and they give it to our crime scene tech. Now, the crime scene tech will take it to the crime lab, right? The city, for some reason, I don't know why. I don't know why they, they were even called that night. I don't know. But they came in and was like, no, we want him to go to this uh, occupational drug testing place. That, and, nobody, and nobody knew why they were trying to send him they like, why are you sending there? That, that's not our procedure. That's not our policy. So, like I said, the internal affairs guys were, were standing up fighting for me. They got overruled by one of our deputy chiefs. Our deputy chief, it wasn't like he was trying to screw me. He's a yes man. He's a politician, right? He's doing what the city wants to look good in their eyes. Well, the other deputy chief, who's by policy outranks this deputy chief, stepped in and said, no, we're doing it our normal way, and that's what happened. So, it wasn't anything like they were trying to throw me in the bus. It was for some reason they were trying to send me somewhere else to get blood drawn for no explanation given. Um, so it wasn't a huge thing, but it was like, why are y'all doing this? So. I have a weird theory, and I could be totally but, off base, but as stupid as it is, I wonder if it's cheaper for the city to go to the occupational place rather than the hospital. And it was, but I mean, how much does I mean, how much does that really cost? I don't know. Not much, I wouldn't think. And hell, I'm down our hospital probably even called them because the hospital loves us. That hospital loved us. Uh, we we took really good care of the staff there because um, it was kind of in the not in the best neighborhood. So uh, there was a lot of issues at the hospital, and, and we always took care of them. So I, they probably wouldn't even charge us. I don't know. Before we we jump into you know the aftermath, something I wanted to step back. And I know a lot of people that are cops listen to the podcast. I know a lot of people that are not cops listen to the podcast. But if you're in law enforcement, you have to accept the fact that you may have to kill another human being. Yeah. Now, the it's not, you know, you don't shoot to kill. You, you shoot to stop the threat. But let's be honest. It's a deadly weapon. People get shot. Sometimes they die. So you, ha- you have to accept that. If you're in law enforcement and you don't think that you can do that, you need to leave. I, I'm not saying like you should, let's be honest. Like if you're excited about doing that, you also should leave. But if you understand that that's something that comes with the territory that, Hey, I may be placed in this position and I may have to do this. You have to be able to accept that. And exactly. uh, I, you know, I, I think people outside of law enforcement, I think reasonable people listen to this podcast understand that it's just, it is what it is. Lots of people that will make these crazy arguments about like, well, in, in Britain, they use shields and they, you know, the cops don't have guns and all this stuff. And okay. You were there by yourself. Did you have a shield in your car? Nope. We don't have control. Okay. You don't have those type of tools to do anything like that. I'm sure you guys don't have tactics and training on how to encircle people that have a knife. It's great. If that works in Britain and it works for them, that's fucking great. Maybe that is something that, you know, cops can get trained up on. But the way law enforcement is here, and I'm not saying law enforcement can't get changed, get better, but that's not an opportunity you have. If you would have driven by that guy with a 
a fucking machete. He's high on PCP. And then he kills somebody. The first question is going to be, why didn't the cops do anything? And so it's funny you bring that up. Um, during the investigation, they found out that just minutes before I came across him, uh, he was spent a couple hours in this gas station about a block away, and he was actually threatening people with it. Nobody calls, not one phone call. And at one point, there's a guy there who owed him money, I believe. He literally had this dude on his knees, holding the machete against his neck, threatening to kill him like a freaking African warlord if he didn't pay him his money. And nobody so knows what he was not a single phone call. Not one. That yeah. dives into another topic that I don't know how far we're going to get into it. But yeah. based on what you're telling me, you and I think we had this conversation last year, but I feel like you work in a similar environment that I worked in. And I'm telling you right now, people will not believe how other Americans live mm-hmm. their life. Oh, it's wild. It's like another yeah. fucking world. And so when police are involved in incidents in this world, sometimes it seems unbelievable. It's one of those things, man. And, and I'd be honest, it's this, this, and this isn't about your, your incident, but it's just this never ending cycle where if the cops don't shoot the guy, then why didn't they shoot the guy? And if they do shoot the guy, well, why did they shoot the guy? And it's nonsensical. And well, these cops didn't do this. And then the cops across the country didn't do this. Yeah, because all cops are exactly the same. They all get exactly the same training. They've had the exact same circumstances. They have the same exact brains and chemical structure in their head. Fucking fuck off. But anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. Yeah, that Beverly Hills cop has the same level of experience as a cop in East New York, Brooklyn. Yeah, two totally totally different worlds, man. Totally different worlds. What happened? I guess let's let's start with the DA. Mm-hmm. Was did you have any issues there? Nope. Um, the only issue I had was a delay in my grand jury, um, and that was nothing to do with DA's office. Um, so going back to the Rangers, right? You know, I got investigated by Texas Rangers as well, but I had a polar opposite experience with the Rangers. Um, the Ranger investigating my case had been a Ranger for a long time. Very experienced dude, very experienced investigator, worked a lot of OISs. Um, he was awesome, man. I, I lucked out. Uh, we had to do an interview with him, and he's like, dude, I watched your, your body cam, your dash cam. You got witnesses coming out of the woodwork backing you up. He, he's like, there's really, really nothing we need to talk about. But the delay came in. Uh, that ranger had to investigate, like, a quintuple homicide. <laughs> uh, so that kind of took up some of his time. And that delayed my, yeah, yeah, that kind of, it was like something out, one of those crazy stories out in the woods, you know, like whole five people got killed. And uh, so, you know, he, he got assigned that and that kind of put me on the back burner, which, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't argue with that. Um, so that delayed me going to grand jury, uh, but I had no problems with DA, man, none. Um, I actually had relationships with the chief DA investigator, I actually went to high school with his son, and he and I had worked some off-duty jobs together. So he and I had a good relationship. Um, another, the DA investigator signed on my case. Actually, he wasn't assigned to it because he was from, he retired from our department, but he was kind of helping out with it. Um, so I had, I got a lot of good breaks in this case. I can't, I can't deny that. You know, I'm listening to this and I could, 
see where somebody be like, well, what the fuck, man? There is a conflict of interest there. Why isn't somebody from the outside brought in to investigate? So I, I think somebody could honestly say something like that. But again, you had the Texas Ranger, you have the witness. It was on body camera too, right? Oh yeah. No? Body camera. Yeah. You, you have everything. It's clear as day. And I, I just, this is going to sound fucked up, but there's just parts of the country where it's normal as far as, I don't say it's normal, normal, but there's parts of the country where, I don't know, it just, things make a little more sense. And so people can look at things objectively and be like, yeah, that that's fine. The dude died. But again, it's you, your job isn't to get killed by some guy with a machete. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, like I said, I had some good breaks. Um, but if, I guess kind of what happened after that, I was off work for a couple months, uh, paid leave, which good Lord, that's, it sounds fun. Oh, you paid me off. No, you start going start crazy after like two weeks. Um, was off work for a little bit and then came back and, um, you know, I, like I said, I really didn't have any issues. Um, the day of, I got, I got home. Um, my family bought me Whataburger after, after I left. I had Whataburger afterwards and I, dude, I slept like a baby that night. No nightmares, no nothing. I slept like a rock. Um, and to this day, yeah, you know, I, I didn't have any of those traditional issues that you're, that cops are have ingrained in them that well, you're going to face this after you've all been pregnant. So, well, this is fucked up. <laughs> I feel mm-hmm. like a dick for even bringing it up, but I think it, it's relevant. I was talking to one of my guests of a podcast after, after recording, and we got to talking about some recent suicides within the police community. And he said, Hey, look, you know, these guys were cops for 30 years. They get done with everything. They're fine through their career. They get done. They don't have everything hanging over their head. And you're just so used to, cause, cause we, we talk about how basically cop, you know, they're hard, they're so tense for 25 years and then their fucking heart explodes. Well, I think another part of it is that cops, when they get done with it, they don't know what to do with themselves. You go, you know, the stressful job for 25 years and then you get out and you don't know what to do with yourself. Or, you know, maybe you move, you retire and then you don't have your support system. And, you know, you deal with all these different issues, you know, anxiety, whatever, other mental health issues so and, and i'm not i'm not saying that that's going to happen to you but I, I think as all of this plays out and and through i think our generation is different than the older generations but let's be honest all the stats we have about cops dying when they're young is the older generations right so it's it's on us to learn lessons from all that now with that said like you're saying people handle those things differently and you have to and I know I'm kind of going all over the place here, but it's, it's really a complex issue that it's, again, some people can, you know, look that right in the eye and not a big deal. And Hey, I did what I had to do. It sucked, but you know, I'm, I'm alive. So it is what it is. And some people, I think some people can kind of get trapped into the, what if things too. And I think that can fuck with people. I don't know if you've ever had the dream where you have somebody at gunpoint and your gun doesn't work. Yes, I've had that several times. I think it's like, I think everybody that's been in law enforcement has had that dream. It's not a good dream. Um, So there's definitely a level of that kind of stuff going on too. So I think that can bug people. Now, I know I've been rambling for a minute. 
but I'm going to ramble a little bit longer. I wanted to bring up my, we'll call mine near OIS. And because I'll be honest with you guys, and I've talked about it a bunch on this podcast. And if you haven't listened, I'm not going to go into way big detail because I don't want to bore everybody about the details of it. But, you know, when he, when this guy had me at gunpoint and we're in this pursuit and I, you know, it was only for a, a moment, I didn't really have a chance to get my gun up at him. I think about that moment a lot. But I, I sometimes wonder, what if it was different? What if it was just one of those things like, hey, this dude has a gun pointed at me and we're in a different scenario and I'm able to eliminate the threat or stop the threat? Do I have that type of nightmare or dream or freak out about that shit? Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'll be driving down the road and that fucking that scene will click into my head. And, you know, I start wondering, like, you know, the what ifs of, you know, what if that dude was able to get a fucking round off at me? And then at the end of this pursuit, I'll be honest. I, we, we could have shot this dude and it goes again, you know, people want to talk all the time about cops being trigger happy. I'm telling you guys right now, cops would be legally and morally justified to shoot way more people than they do. And they don't because they show a tremendous amount of restraint. And there was a bunch of cops on scene. And I think there was a couple points where we probably could have, but there was restraint shown but then this guy ends up being a homicide suspect. We didn't know that at the time. And then you're like, well, fuck, fuck. You know, we, we did show restraint, but this guy, he fucking would have killed us. The, you know, if he would have had the right opportunity or I don't know why he didn't honestly start shooting. So it, there's a lot of things I think that, you know, for a person like me, that's in law enforcement. Again, we're talking about the different mentalities that mm-hmm. overanalyze things. And I think that can be problematic. So essentially what I'm saying is I wish I had your brain. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm the king of overanalyzing stuff, dude, man. I, I, I have anxiety. I overthink everything to death. But what's funny is with me in particular, when I get in those situations, those high stress situations, the overthinking goes away. Something clicks. It's literally like I feel a switch go off in my head. And I'm a totally different person. I'm super calm. I'm focused. You know, there's nothing going on around me but me and whatever I'm facing. And so for whatever reason, in those situations, all of that goes away from me. And I'm able to just solve the problem in front of me. Um, I don't know, just some way I'm wired. I don't know. But trust me, I am the king of, of what if and stressing stuff out. Well, so. and I'm glad you talked about that because I am – a way big, you know, I'm way <laughs> very analytical, but generally I don't, I can't think of a time on the road where it was like serious that I, I overanalyze something. And cause on the road, especially when things are heated, you, you have to act, you got to think exactly. why you're acting, but you have to act. And I, we'll talk about this a little bit later in your FTO thing, but I'm sure th- the, cops that really struggle when they're newer and and maybe sometimes they don't get over it is the people that cannot make a decision because you know that's one thing to not make a decision on like "Ah, i don't know if i should charge them or not but it's one thing to not be able to make a decision when this guy is about to kick your ass and that is a problematic thing within our society law enforcement right now everything everybody's so armchair quarterback everything i think that's creating people being even more analytical than they would be. And that's why you're, you're seeing some of these issues. I, 
I don't really want to get into the uh, Uvalde thing. Did I say that right? Uh, Uvalde. Close. Uvalde. Um, I don't really want to get into that too much. I, I have a lot of thoughts on it. And let's be honest, as the day, I, I kind of preach like, hey, let's, let's wait for all of this to come out. But as information trickles out, let's be yeah. honest, like there, there was some fuck ups. And yeah, it, it, uh, I watched the official Senate, Texas Senate investigation into or some of it. And I was like, wow, that that's yeah, that's bad. Um, well, that's more, yeah. there was one thing that just came out where an officer, I guess, had asked permission to shoot him. And he didn't get a response and he didn't shoot him. And I think it was prior to him entering this, the school. And I got to be honest, my first thought on that was with everything going on in the world, I wonder if that was in that cop's head. Like, I need to ask before I do this. Where, yeah. and again, like I wasn't there. So it, it's probably a little, it is irresponsible to assume what this cop was thinking. Yeah. But I, I think anybody in law enforcement over the last two years, three years is probably not done something they should have done because in fear of, you know, what is it going to look like type of thing. Now I can't speak to what was going on with that. And obviously it's bits and pieces of information, but I did want to bring it. And that's one of the reasons I asked you about the troopers, because I know there's been some people in that city um, on their city council or whatever that have been critical of the troopers saying like, Hey, they're fucking leaving out information. So they don't look bad. And, and it's really kind of nasty to be honest with you. And Again, I don't want to go too deep into it, but here's the thing. There's a bunch of dead kids and this posturing over it is not going to help anything. And there's nothing that can be done about this now except to learn from it. So it never fucking happens again. And I don't like that. There's this back and forth in the media about this shit. Like people have fucking forgotten a guy went in there and shot the kids. You know, we're not talking about that guy at all. We're not talking about what led to that and what he did. We need to be talking about the response. We need to be talking about what the fuck went wrong. And so it can get better. And this like back and forth and not telling the truth or, or not getting the information out there. It, it, it looks bad, to be honest with you. And it's, it's really fucking disappointing. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're dealing with humans, right? That's how humans are. When something goes south, everybody immediately wants to you know, backpedal and, and try and cover, not necessarily cover up, but deflect from them and their actions, right? And that's that's human nature, um, unfortunately. You're right. This is a situation where all that needs to be put aside. We need to focus on what happened, what went wrong. Um, as far as the thing about troopers, I don't really know. I hadn't, hadn't seen or heard that yet. And there's there's no telling, man. I really who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I, I, and there's, and that's why I'm kind of, I, I, I don't really want to go in depth on everything yet because I, I just think there's a lot more information out there. But mm-hmm. I remember maybe a week into it, there was an interview with the the chief. I'm sorry, we're getting really away from you, but there was an interview with that, right. that chief of the school district, and you know he said a bunch of things in that interview. I think it was at the Texas Tribune, and a lot of it was absolutely, you know, in that that hearing in other news articles it contradicted all of that so i want to know what the truth is and yeah, think, that's yeah. that's the issue is you have people you know who's telling the truth i want or is it some of it true some of it's not and i i think people want to know that stuff but i think sometimes and this is just me thinking out loud you know people are releasing bits and pieces of it pieces of it and people want answers and i understand that but sometimes when you just 
release bits and pieces of things, the full story, even when the full story comes out, is going to be convoluted because people are going to latch on to, you know, whatever they heard right off the bat or a week later and things like that. So I don't know. I, again, I, I have no say on how people release stuff, but it, it is, all of it is very concerning to me. Yeah. And, you know, I experienced a little bit of that in my situation. Uh, the brother of the victim got on the news and <laughs> apparently I used a service revolver, which I don't think anybody's used in 20 years. Somehow that got put out there. And he got on the news and said that I emptied my service revolver into his brother, reloaded and kept shooting. I was like, Hmm, that's funny. I don't even own a revolver, let alone empty the cylinder and reload that. So that, that happens even in something as simple, cut and dry, call on camera is my situation. Well, and <laughs> again, I guess we're going down another road. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is poorly made. We Tangents are part of the show. It is. It, and I, I sometimes I feel bad because I, I really... I, I was making the narcissist joke and I, I get it's my podcast, but I mean, really it's about, you know, you guys and get your stories out there, but I like to hear the sound of my own voice apparently, but actually I don't, I sound like McLovin. I hate it, but we, I, I don't even know how to respond to myself after that, but there's this, unfortunately, and this is not like anything new, but it, I feel like it's almost gotten worse. And I feel like there's a lot of these incidents where, it's probably a suicide by cop. Um, it's presented a different way, but I think people know, like maybe if somebody's suicidal, they're like, Hey, look, I can get the cops to do it for me. And my family is going to get fucking paid. I have a theory on a recent shooting that I think that probably is what happened based on how some of the information. It's just a theory. I'm, I wasn't there. I don't know. But unfortunately people have decided that, if there's a tragedy, they need to be paid for the tragedy. Look, yeah. I, and, and people will say anything, anything. And, and the scumbag lawyers will come out with their lawsuits and the cities, the cities will never dispute anything because they will say, well, it's pending litigation. I can't say anything. I, I guess that's true. I don't know. But what you see in the media, in the news is the lawsuit. And the lawsuit will allege all this stuff and they will use all this extravagant language to describe something. And again, it's, it's not a, you know, it's, it's not a fucking sworn affidavit. They fucking say whatever they want. And, you know, people can get on the news and say whatever they want, especially not a reporter. So you get the family on, you get a pastor on, you get whoever on, they can literally say whatever they want to say. Even if they were not there, they don't actually know what happened. And that is taken as fact. And a lot of the time it's not. And so I don't know. I, I, I'll be honest. Like we're a very Sue happy country. Everybody, you know, the, everybody sues everybody for everything. And that's, that's what we do. Um, you know, we can't, you know, shake hands and have a, you know, talk about it over a beer. We, we have to sue, you know, our neighbors for painting their house the wrong color or, or whatever. That's, that's how we solve problems in our fucking country is we sue each other. Now, when the government's involved and the taxpayers are involved, if there's some sort of tragedy, the cities are going to pay out. We've established this in the podcast because it's cheaper than fighting it in court. And oh, yeah. And as much as I want to shit on the cities for it, because I think they're fucking cowards, 
you have to be thinking of what's in the best interests of the taxpayer. All right. On the off chance we lose this thing, we're going to get fucking, we're going to fucking, the city's going to bankrupt or we can sweep it under the rug and make it go away for this much money. People know that. And so that is kind of the environment. So people often say, well, I see, you know, the Reddit arguments about like, oh, the cops never have to pay for all this shit. The city, remember this, the city is only paying because it's cheaper. That's Mm -hmm. it. And and what people don't think about is, you know, most cops have side jobs and overtime, right? I was off for three months. I was at that time working so much overtime and off duty that I probably lost three grand a month in extra income. So, I mean, in a way, yeah, I did pay for it. I lost a lot of side money. That's something they don't think about too. It's like, it's not like, oh, I'm just sitting at home chilling, not doing nothing. No, man, I've got this, you know, sword hanging over my head, waiting to drop any moment. I'm not working my overtime, my side jobs. You know, thankfully, you know, I had money saved up. I didn't have a lot of bills. So I was able to, you know, just take it easy. But there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. People just don't know that. I guess I'll get off my soapbox. I'm sure I'm sure it'll come back out because that's that's what oh, we do here. Of course. Of course. So you end up getting cleared and everything. How long was it before you got back to work? It was right about three months. Um, like I said, there was the delay in going to grand jury. Uh, they know literally they told me the grand jury took nine or five minutes to to say, yeah, he's good. Um, then there was another couple week delay. My department was not dragging their feet to bring me back, but I think they were trying to let a little more time pass or something. I don't know. But so it was right about three months. I was off. Uh, come back to work. First week back, they had me ride with a partner, which was the friend that was uh, my good friend that was riding next to me that day. So, you know, he and I are, he and I are good. Um, rode together for a week and then uh, I was on my own back. Like nothing happened. Um, like I said, uh, you know, the whole time I was off, didn't really have any of the the issues that, you know, they tell you in the academy that you're going to experience. And um, thankfully, I had a really supportive uh, group of people, you know, officers in my department, family um, who were backing me up. Um, my like, I work in a very violent city, so there was probably five officers in my department who had been in shootings, and they all kind of talked to me about what they experienced and everything. And, you know, so that, that really, that helped a lot too. the kind of peer, peer level support, which is incredibly important, right? That, that was the worst part of being off was I wasn't around the guys, anymore, you know, I can't really talk to them because everything's still under investigation. Um, can't hang out with them really can't, you know, hang around the station. Can't be out there, you know, on the streets running the gun like I was, you're kind of in enforced isolation. And that was probably the only hard part with my situation was just having to be away from everybody. Um, you know, guys are still checking on me and stuff like that, but it wasn't, you know, that we're seeing each other at work every day, you know, that, that kind of intimacy that you develop with people. Um, but once I was back at work, man, it was like, it was like nothing happened. You know, everything was back to normal. The only thing that happened negative i should say was my first day by myself back by myself i made a traffic stop and for whatever reason the guy decided to get out of the car pissed off start dancing towards me and in that moment 
I had a crazy flashback. I was back, you know, late December, that same street where everything happened. I saw the guy I was forced to shoot in that split second. I had to like shake it off. Like, Whoa, that was what just happened. And then, you know, everything went back to normal. I dealt with the situation and that was it. So that was the only real, I guess, effect, like physical effect I had was that, that really intense flashback. And that's the only time it's happened. Um, I guess just because it was the guy kind of looked like the guy I had to, had to shoot and he was just advancing towards me, I guess. It just triggered something. But I mean, I've, I've been in that situation since and I, I haven't had any other issues. But. Interesting. Yeah. I, I've heard and I, again, this isn't like anything backed by anything and maybe a few articles I've read, which God knows who's, who's written these articles, but it talks about some of the cops that have been involved in shootings are more likely to get into a second or third shooting. I don't know mm-hmm. if there's any, any science behind that, but I, I mean, I could see that you just, you know, you just got over this kind of critical thing and now you're in the same spot and the shit's happening. I mean, every time I drove the inter- through the intersection where I thought that guy was going to smoke me, I fucking, every time I drove through there, I drove, every time I d- drove through there, I thought about it. So I could, I could see that. Every time I drive past that, that spot on the road, I, I think about what happened and and that's another thing people that that want to judge cops they don't think about stuff like that like i still remember that i still carry that with me i replay it, it just replays in my head regularly um not like you know not, not like negatively but like every so often it's pop in my head and i'll like replay it and think about you know remember what happened remember what i did the actions i took and just kind of it just kind of pops up and then um on that day Every year since that day, on the, the anniversary of the incident, I've gone to that spot, stood there for a minute, and just kind of, you know, thought about what happened. Just kind of took like a moment of silence, whatever, and then, you know, just remembered that it happened. His family doesn't even do that. At least I don't know what they do. There was never anything like, yeah, I mean, but there was never anything like, you know, people put flowers or candles or whatever. There's never any of that that I ever saw out there. And so I just kind of would stand there for a minute, just kind of think about what happened and, you know, just remember the incident. And then I'd go back to work and move on. What was the city's reaction to the shooting? Like, were there any protests or anything like that? So, well, this is kind of what's funny. The city I work in is we're a majority minority city. So like 85% of the city is, um, black, Hispanic, and Asian, right? White, or whites are a minority in that city. So you'd think there'd be a bunch of uproar, right? Especially since the guy I was forced to shoot was a black male in what is historically the black neighborhood of the city. Um, and that area is still over 90% African-American to this day. Um, you'd think there'd be a bunch of uproar. There started to be a little bit, um, but there was a witness to the shooting who was actually again, another lucky break, was a good friend of mine. He's a security guard at the hospital. Um, and he and I had actually been in fist fights together. Uh, we had a good re- good relationship. He saw everything go down. He saw me give the guy plenty of time to stop. He heard me giving commands. He, he saw I didn't want to shoot the dude. He knew me as a person. And he, this guy, I, I love him to death. Tony, if you ever listen to this, I love you, man. 
Um, he's, he's an OG from back in the day, grew up in the worst, most hood apartment complex in the city, isn't scared of anybody, knows everybody. And he was out there like, are y'all kidding me? This, this officer did everything he could not to hurt this guy. And he had his hand forced. And so there was starting to be some rumblings, uh, but he came forward and a couple other witnesses came forward and they kind of like shut all that down. Um, so I got very lucky with that. Um, and especially once the body cam video was released a few months later, that, that shut everything down. Once people saw the video, they were like, oh yeah. Let me ask you this though. Do you think if the shooting would have happened in the last two years, do you think, do you feel like the people in that area of town would have stood up and said, Hey, no, this wasn't fucked up. He did what he had to do. Uh, no, I think it still would have gone down the way it did because so shockingly, we didn't have any of those issues. We didn't have any, pro- we had one protest that was like half-hearted at best. Um, it, it was like a nothing protest and like height of COVID, height of all the, the crazy madness. It was business as usual in our city. We still to this day have good relationships with people in the city. Like it, it's, you would think with our demographics being the way they are that we would have these issues. We did. And I, I can't speak to why. I don't know why, but you know, so I, I think still if had it happened, say December of last year, I don't think we would have had the same issues. I don't think we would have had any issues like anybody else. That's good to hear and interesting to hear, to be honest with you. It really is. Yeah. Now, Squirrely Dan, uh, unless I missed anything on on your OIS, do you have anything else maybe I didn't ask about or you think people should know? Um, Yeah. So if anybody's ever involved in a situation like that, it doesn't have to be an OIS. It can be another really fucked up incident. Um, critical incident seminars. Most states have some form of them. Uh, Texas has a really good one. It's called critical incident seminar. Uh, it's a state, uh, there's a state organization that, that puts it on and it's for officers who've been through all kinds of stuff. Um, that was the best thing that helped me. Um, the, the internal affairs guy who'd been through two shootings, he recommended I go to it and it was, it's a three day Ours is a three-day seminar. I don't know how this goes. Ours is a three-day thing. It's, you know, 20, 25 cops who've been through a whole range of jacked-up situations. Um, some pretty, heard some pretty gnarly stories. Um, and only about half the guys in there have been shooting. The other half have been some crazy stuff. And it's really, really good because they have not only professional counselors and mental health people, um, but they also have a large number of peers, people who have been through their own critical incidents and have gone through this seminar before, and they come back and volunteer to help. And that is, to me, that was the best thing because they broke us down into several small groups and it was, you know, five, six of us and a couple of peers. And the, I got lucky again, another lucky break with the, the kind of lead peer for my group. He was amazing. Uh, he was a Marine Corps combat vet in Afghanistan. He'd been in two shootings of his agency. One was he return fired somebody. The other was he actually, I think, shot somebody. And he was the probably best person to help me with mine because he, he gave me, he said something that really clicked with me and that made me 
feel a lot better about the whole situation, right? You know, like I said, I didn't have any of the physical effects, but there was something gnawing in me um, the entire time I was home. It was the fact that I wasn't having these effects, right? You know, in the academy, until you're going to experience this, this, and this, right? And I wasn't experiencing any of that. So there's a part of me that's like, am I like a sociopath and don't know it or something? And the way he put it was awesome. He's like, no, man, you went through hundreds of hours of training. You've been through all these experiences. You know, you prepared yourself for these incidents. And when it was time to step up to the plate, he said, you knocked out the park. And he's like, it validated all the training you've done before that, the hundreds of hours of, of training and practice and, you know, the enormous amount of time spent on the shooting range and all that. He said, all of that helped you excel when it came time for this incident. He's like, it's, it's like a warrior mentality. You train and train and train. And then when it comes time to fight, you fight and fight. Well, it, it feels good. Not that I'm not saying it feels good to kill somebody, but that I handled that situation better then I probably should have. I only had a year and a half on, right? Um, I wasn't some experienced street cop, but not bragging, I knocked out the point, right? The way I handled myself, the way I handled the radio traffic, the first couple officers that, that got to the scene were like wide-eyed, didn't know what to do. And I was telling them, I was telling them, set this perimeter, grab these windows, do that, do that. And when he pointed all that out to me that, that I excelled when it came time, I was like, man, you're right. You know, all of that practice, all that training, all the preparation paid off in that moment. And I was like, it was like a weight got lifted off. You know, I was like, all of a sudden I just was like, oh, he's right. I'm not fucked up. I just handled myself like I was expected to. I can't really add anything great or of substance to that. <laughs> I kind of go back and forth and I want people to hear me out. I think there's, I think there's a misunderstanding about mental health and I think we're getting better at it as far as taking care of people. But then I also think sometimes people don't really, for lack of a better term, and I'm not trying to be like a misogynist, but sometimes people are a pussy and I think there's a balance, right? Where I, I, I'm not going to dime somebody out, but they, they, they sent me a message and they were talking about you know, their mental health issues. And we kind of dove into it and I'm like, and I, I get everybody, everybody's a different book, but motherfucker, that's, that's not mental health. You're being a bitch. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I think, you know, we talk, you know, I, I try to like stay out of politics. And if you've heard the last Paul's last podcast, you'd be like, bullshit you do, but uh, it's not out yet. It's fucking, I, you know who I'm, I'll cut this all out, but you know who river city pd is it's a satire cop page uh no i don't i don't think it's it's pretty funny and it makes fun of a lot of the woke stuff and i i I played it as like a parody and played off of what they said and agreed with everything they said and it's fucking awesome but it's it's gonna piss some people off that don't realize it's satire it's (laughs) it's a hundred times different than anything i've ever done but it's it's fucking awesome but anyway although you might be a few after that but there has to be like this balance and 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 this includes the gals like i'm going to use the term masculinity but uh, you know like when i use the term like having guts or balls like it's the same thing for guys like it's like a a term of endearment for being a fucking badass right like there's some fucking chicks out there that have fucking balls of steel right like i'm not 
I'm saying that as an endearing term, right? I'm trying to like give credit where credit's due. So don't nobody fucking at me like you guys did a fucking couple. Oh, of dude, pants some of the best cops in my department are women. Uh, I completely agree. Best I friends in the department are female. Again, like I don't give a shit. Like I don't care if you're fucking trans. I don't care if you're purple. I don't care whatever. If you're a good cop, you're a good cop. Doesn't fucking matter. Um, all we care is, are you going to be there with me when I need? You? That's all exactly. We but I, I think. And I'll be honest, man, sometimes um, there has to be balance, right? Where like cops, you know, we need to be vulnerable. We need to talk to people if we need to talk to people and things like that. Um, But this pansy ass attitude, I think sometimes, and this is, I'm sure I've been guilty of it. I'm I'm not going to sit here and say, I've never been fucking guilty of it. I'm never going to sit here and say, woe is me. You know, I've never said, woe is me. I've fucking been there all the time. Again, with the mental health stuff, they're all the, and, and I've made fun of the warrior mindset, but there, there's, there's something to that, you know, the, the warrior in the garden type thing, right? There's absolutely fucking something to that. And I don't want people. And, and again, I'm a guy in my basement making a podcast. So I'm no fucking expert on anything, but my two cents is be vulnerable, talk to people. Don't be fucking idiot. You know, if you need to talk to people, talk to people, don't be too proud to go get help, but don't be a pansy either. Is that, so, is that yeah. fair? No, no, that's exactly what I was sometimes going to bring up was I think people get too into the warrior mindset. You shouldn't be walking around 24-7, you know, thumping your chest going, looking for a fight, right? That's not what a warrior is. A warrior is a professional who, when the time comes to act like a warrior, handles his shit. There, so there's instances where you have to be that warrior, but you don't have to be that 24-7, right? You have to be prepared, but not, you know, chest thumping. Right. And you brought up something I want to talk about, um, the, the, you know, being a pussy thing. I think part of what allowed me to handle my shit really well was just my upbringing. Um, you know, my dad and grandfather were like these tough as nails, you know, these just hard as hell, solid people. Um, they didn't take shit from anybody. Um, they did what they had to do to, to raise their families and take care of stuff. Uh, they, you know, my grandfather came dirt poor East Texas farm, right? And from the twenties, he grew up in the depression, did what he had to do, didn't bitch and moan, just did work, got it done. And my dad's the same way. You know, they're, they're both, you know, hardworking people, fantastic with their hands. And I think they passed that down on to me. Uh, that's what I grew up around was don't bitch and moan, just handle the business, solve the problem. Uh, I remember this is going to sound wild, but I was a kid. I was like eight, nine years old. I was helping my grandfather tear, tear down this lean to he had behind his garage. And he was ripping this board down those over his head and it, it got away from him. And he slammed a three inch nail into the top of his skull. This no shit happened. Holy he slammed fuck. a three inch nail. Huh? Holy fuck, man. Yes. He into the top of his skull. I watched this man reach up, snatch it out of his skull, go inside, look at my grandma and say, hand me some paper towels. And he sat there in the bathroom with a lot of paper towels on his head. He stopped bleeding, put a Band-Aid on it, went back and finished the job. I was eight years old when I saw it. Yes, that is a no shit real story. Be a man. Exactly. There's, And I say that, but at the same time, like I'll take my dad for example. You know, fantastic example growing up. He was hard only, but he was fair. But he was this really capable 
guy with his hands. He can work on cars. He can do carpentry, masonry, you name it. He can do it. They, he literally just built his retirement home for him and my mom. He did probably 75% of the work and stuff. But he was never afraid to ask for help. If he didn't know how to do something and couldn't figure it out himself, he called a buddy of his who did. Or he found somebody who knew more than he did and asked him. So, yeah, on the one hand, you know, figure your shit out, handle your shit. But at the same time, don't be afraid to ask for help. Absolutely. So that's just kind of how I would well, and, and I kind of look at, again, I, apparently I'm going to keep fucking talking about myself today, but I, I look at, you know, kind of the end of my career and I don't, there's been some people that are fucking super supportive about me leaving and doing my thing. And there's been a, plenty of people that are like, you're a fucking bitch, you're pansy, you left, you know, you left and you're still making memes. How dare you? You know what? And I, I said it on a podcast with 10 and I'll fucking say it again. I respect that you think that. I get it, man. I fucking left. And you think I'm a bitch for still making memes about being, you know, the cop shit. You know what? You're fucking super entitled to your opinion because you're out there doing your fucking thing. You're working hard, probably, hopefully. I, I would really hope that the people talking shit are actually good cops. But um, I get it. You have fucking every, you know, that's your opinion. You have every fucking right to be pissed off about it. I don't give a, I, I don't want to say I don't give a fuck. I mean, I, I'd be lying if I, it, I don't like it. I mean, I don't like when people are like, oh, you're a fucking bitch. You left. And because, it, you know, the sound like a millennial, it makes me feel unheard. Like, hey, do you fucking listen to anything I said? You're a fucking idiot if you think I should have stayed there. Yeah. Right. Uh, I get people being critical of that. But I also think if, if you work at a dog shit department and you're just doing it to do it, you're a fucking idiot. Okay? If you have an out or, or whatever, but don't, again, I don't want to go too far off in, into me land, but because we got a lot of good shit to talk about you, but I think, but on the same hand, like I have to be not a pussy in, in accepting that criticism because now I don't have to necessarily like, you know, like bow down to them and say, yeah, like, yeah, you're fucking right. Like I, I disagree with them, but I, I totally get their point. Like, yeah, you fucking left. Why are you making memes? You're, you're a grifter. You know what? If you want to think that that is fucking your thing. I'm not going to change your mind. doesn't matter what I say. I'm not going to change your mind. That's cool. I'm People sorry like that. that I'm so in your head that you fucking feel the need to repeat it constantly. Um, maybe you should go th see a therapist about it, but I, I get it. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. It's fine. And honestly, like that's not opinion that I, I get it. I mean, it makes sense to me. I I'd be honest. Maybe, you know, if I thought somebody was a shit bag and they're like, Hey, this guy's fucking, you know, making money off of this. I could see why people would be upset. That's totally, totally cool. But kind of to tie this into this entire conversation, I can't be a pussy about that, right? Hey, yeah. somebody doesn't like me. Oh, well, that's not, you know, and I think that's something that cops need to kind of get in their heads too. And I will tell you right now, guilty of it. Hey, the no. public doesn't like me. Hey, the brass doesn't like me. You can't, I mean, you can't let it affect you. And um, you're absolutely right. That's what I teach my rookies all the time, man. You can't let – if you react to them, you've already lost, right? Um, I tell them the, – I tell them what you're right, Train, the best advice I've ever seen about being a cop is that scene in Roadhouse where Patrick Swayze's talking to the crew when he takes over. Roadhouse. Goes, what? Well, yeah. He's like, well, what if they call you a cocksucker? Are you? It's like it doesn't matter. It's just words. Um, words don't – you know, it's not like they're stabbing or anything you can deal with it. You're an adult. Control your emotions. And, you know, you talk about people calling, you know, the name calling or they're saying you're a bitch and all that. And that's childishness. 
That's childishness. We got enough shit going on in this country. Why are we trying to tear each other down? You know, because that is what we do, man. Exactly. We eat our own. But I, I don't fault anybody for leaving policing, right? If you take an honest look at your police career and you think I need to leave for whatever reason, I'm the first one to support you for that because it takes a lot of guts to look at whatever your situation is and go, I need to leave policing for this reason. And I mean, you moved how many states away? You got four kids and a wife and all that. I mean, that, that takes a lot to do that. And, and honestly, respect you for it. Um, so the people that, that name call and talk shit, a lot of them probably just scared they don't do it themselves. Well, I mean, I think envy is a thing too, but I uh, let's be honest, don't be envious of me. I'm I, I make a fucking I podcast. Mean, I'm and pretty I'm, envious of the sex dungeon. So you're, you're envious of what? Envious of the sex dungeon. Where I'm at, we don't even have basements. We're so we're at sea level, so we don't have we, basements. I, I always wondered about that in Texas. I got one more thing. I got another soapbox thing, but we're going to talk about this because y'all have tornadoes in Texas. Yeah. Uh, where, where the fuck best. do you go if you don't have a basement, bro? Bathroom overpass. <laughs> it's funny. We had a tornado a few weeks ago. Uh, it was literally about three blocks from my parents' house. Where I'm at, tornadoes aren't that bad. Um, they're mostly up in the northern part of Texas. And up there, people have basements. They're, they're hundreds of feet above sea level. But up in the panhandle, north Texas, a lot of them have basements. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to the podcast. I want to talk to you about my buddy Brad Williams over at Police Fit. You guys see him on the page every single Monday on Poorly Made Police Memes. Brad's going to help the new applicants and active officers smash their fitness and regain their health. Brad has 11 years experience in the fitness industry, 17 years in the military, and is also a first responder. He's going to share his experience and expertise to help applicants get their dream job and help active first responders regain their health. That's Police Fit, and I'll have a link for you on the podcast description. Back to the podcast. Real quick before, because I, I want to talk about FTO things, because I don't want to put this kind of pressure on you, but we haven't really talked a whole lot about being an FTO on the podcast. And I think this is a good opportunity based on some of our conversations. But we, we hit on something a little bit ago about like tearing each other down. And I, I have a couple points on that. A, um, I've learned the law enforcement community, I can't speak for every department, but within my department is fucking toxic as shit. The social media is no different. Here's the thing. It's, it's not just law enforcement. It's, it's everywhere. Everyone feels the need that they need to talk shit about somebody all the time and start drama. And, and basically we started out in the late nineties or early two thousands with reality TV shows. We fucking live in a reality TV show. I don't think anything's fucking real anymore. No one's genuine. I mean, all these people will get on fucking social media and everyone uses a filter. Every motherfucker. Now, I'm honest. I don't get my face on social media because I am fucking fat and ugly. All right. But don't I, I hate this whole like, you know, we're society where like there's no judgment and shit. But then everybody uses a fucking filter. Oh, my God. It yes. drives me up the fucking yes. wall. But the other point I wanted to make about the the society that we're living in. And you know the reality TV show. I, I get politics has kind of always been that way because I was starting to think like, oh, politics. And then I, and I th started thinking about some of the shit that happened in the past. All right, politics has kind of always been 
it's theater. It's not real. You know, politics has always been theater. But I I think a lot of the issues that we're having within this country right now, and I I know I try generally not to get political, but I'm going to get a little political here. We've become so fucking conditioned to hate each other. Yeah. Why do you think we're having all these problems? Okay. I'm guilty of it. Again, I, I will fucking put my hand up and say, yeah, I'm guilty of this shit. Let's be honest. Anytime something bad happens, a mass shooting, whatever happens, everyone rushes onto the internet to figure out, oh, well, were they liberal? Were they conservative? Were they this or that? Instead of actually looking at the fucking act itself, let's be goddamn fucking honest, okay? I don't think somebody that does some fucking horrendous act and you shouldn't think this either. I'm going to, the one time I'm going to tell you how to think. If you think a horrendous act dictates how everyone in a specific political subset thinks, okay, I got to be, take that back. We, there's some rare exceptions there. But let's say, like, anytime, like, some fucking wacko lefty does something crazy or some fucking wacko righty does something crazy, if you associate that one person with half of the fucking country, you're an idiot. Okay, we have to stop doing that. Okay, this country, there's a lot of shit going on and there's a lot of drama and there's a lot of shit going on. I never thought we'd go on. Okay, we got some things to fix, but we have this whole, you know, united we stand or divided we fall. This country is, in my opinion, has never been so divided. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is I I can point a fingers at a lot of people that are, you know, are, are driving a wedge and I don't know why they're doing it. Maybe there's ulterior motives. I don't know. But I think we need to wake the fuck up because, look, man, I'm obviously fucking conservative. There's no fucking – I'm not going to lie about that. But I know goddamn well that my my friends on the left, they're not all fucking cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And I know the good people on the left know that not all the people on the right are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I'd like to think that a vast majority of this country, 80 to 90%, while there might be some differences, we all kind of like – we all kind of can get along. We have to stop letting the fucking wacko 10% of the population on either side control the narrative of this country or we, the country's going to fucking fail. I, I don't need, know who needs to fucking hear this, but it needs to fucking stop. We need to come together despite our differences. I, if you treat another American as your enemy, I, I can't respect that. Oh, again, with caveats, there, there are definitely some enemies, but I'm saying like your yeah. general, you know, like Republican, the Democrat, like, oh, they're Republican, they're Democrat, they're my fucking enemy. It's your fucking neighbor. We rely on each other. Okay. Yeah. Stop. Sorry, I'm done. Uh, uh, okay. No, you, you hit on a lot of stuff that I, I talk about too. Like, I'm, I'm a very middle of the road person. I'm conservative for the most part, um, but I do have some liberal tendencies. Um, I'm from South Texas, man. It's like conservative stronghold, but I don't agree with everything. Um, I'm not like, you know, religion's huge on here. I'm not a particularly religious person, right? We don't even touch that subject, but uh, you're right. Painting everybody with a broad brush is, it does nothing. All it does is hurt. Um, and if, if people just have a conversation, just no, you know, no social media, no selfies of, oh, we're having a conversation, not just having a conversation. If you just talk to people, man, realize we have a lot more in common with each other for the most part, than we think we do. Um, you know, I, like I said, my, the city I work in, majority minority. Um, that area my shooting occurred in, I worked that area regularly for about a year leading up to this incident. 
And like I said, it's 98% uh, you know, black. And I'm like the one white guy over there when I'm on duty. And I didn't know how that was going to be taken when I started out. But you know, just talking to people and being a you know a decent person, I loved working there. Like I had so many fascinating conversations with people and I learned so much about a culture that I didn't know about before. Um, you know, there's some really interesting people out there you get to talk to and people that live in these quote unquote bad neighborhoods, only a small portion of them are bad. There's a lot of really good people out there. I mean, I, you know, I go to a loud noise complaint, right? Saturday afternoon barbecue, people are having fun. And I don't come in heavy handed. I just walk up, hey, how's everybody doing? Hey, we got this call. You mind turning down? I know you're having fun, birthday party, whatever. Just mind turning it down for me, dude. I've been offered so much free barbecue. I mean, hadn't offered me liquor before, but you know, had turned that down. Allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> the carols are running. So yes, I refused it. Uh, so just getting out and just being a decent human being to people. Uh, you know, they said, you know, you hear the treat the janitor like you were the CEO. I mean, I, I live that. I, that's how I am. I treat everybody the same for the most part. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're a, a shithead gangster I deal with constantly or the old lady next door. I try and treat everybody as close to the same as I can. And to tie that back into field training, that's what I teach my rookies. I'm like, look, relax. You know, the academy teaches you this. You come out of the academy all bowed up, you know, like a robot ready to fight and stuff. I'm like, look. Calm down. Talk to people like a normal human. Don't talk like a robot. So just relax, man. It doesn't mean let your guard down. This means be normal. Have a conversation with people. Uh, you know, so many. I see. I didn't realize this when I was going to training, but now that I've been around for a few years and I've trained a bunch of people, you know, rookies nowadays they're they immediately go into I got to take a report and I got to write everything down so I don't forget about the law. I'm like, guys, hang on, slow down. Put the notepad away for a second. Talk to them. Understand what's going on. Maybe a report doesn't need to be done. Maybe there's something we can do. Maybe no crime actually happened, right? Maybe we can fix something. Just slow down. Understand the problem first. And then take whatever action you have to take. I've mentioned it before on the podcast. I didn't work in the greatest area. (laughs) But there was a lot of good people that a lot of people think they speak for. And they don't. They don't want criminal in their area. Let's be honest, a a small percentage of people create a lot of problems in in most places. Not everyone's an asshole. Okay. Within a, you know, an apartment complex within a neighborhood, there's probably one to two guys that are causing problems. They're the ones stealing cars. They're the ones popping off rounds. You know, they're the ones inviting friends over that are causing all kinds of issues. Most people are fucking most people are just okay. Like Luke Bryant said, okay. And <laughs> I believe that white, black, Hispanic, you know, whatever, but yeah. we've just gotten to this fucking like, so divisive. Like we're, you know, we divide each other into groups. We're like, all right, you're a white male. You're a, a Hispanic female. You're a, stop. Stop. Is that, is that what really what we're going to do is, is resegregate ourselves. Is that really oh, what dude, it needs to happen? That is exactly what's happening exactly what's happening there are problems like i'm not going to say there's sunshine and rainbows there are definitely issues in the country and we need to work it out but we're not doing the things we need to work them out and we're just everything is getting worse and i i I blame the media a big part of that because 
they, they drive wedges into people and they report things that aren't necessarily true via third parties. And it causes a lot of, you know, if you read something in the news and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, he was on the ground and he got shot. You know, he unloaded another magazine into him or unloaded his revolver. In. Of course, mm. you're going to read that without being going to be like, what the fuck? It's not true, though. A lot of this stuff is not true. Like Ferguson started it all. Hands up, don't shoot. That was total bullshit, total lies. The whole country just ate it up like it was. Like, and a lot of people don't know it's bullshit. A lot of people don't. And, right. and let's be honest. There, I think sometimes law enforcement, we tend to be those people that look back into things and analyze them because it, it can be useful down in our career and it helps i mean honestly a lot of these things even it's not maybe in our district it it sets president right where you're like all right well this happened here no let's not do that or whatever else so i think it, you're in law enforcement you tend to kind of look back on these things to see what actually happens but a lot of people they don't have time to do that they're at work they're posting selfies on instagram they're not doing the research to see yeah. what actually happened and so that immediate first impression, that's what people know. Yeah, and a lot of it is a lack of knowledge, you know. Well, cops can't do that. Yeah, we've been doing it for 150 years. Like, that's standard practice. Like, y'all just, you see one part of it, and you think, oh, well, that looks bad, so they shouldn't be allowed to do that. No, that actually saved, you know, five people's lives by him doing it, right? A lot of it's just a lack of knowledge. Well, this is what I want to do. I want to get into FTO things, but I need to go get a beer. So you mind giving me a second? Yeah, I got to take a leak so that works. All right. Okay, that's enough of that. So before we get into FTO things, I hope you were refreshed and you're ready to go. I, I'm, I'm opening up another beer. And I don't remember if I had this. This is from my good friend. I'm pretty sure it's from my good friend Tobias who appeared. Um, I don't remember what episode, but I'm pretty sure it was named. It's not me. It's the PBR. And he he, uh, also appeared on the Ghost podcast. And he also appeared on the album review Ghost podcast, which I know you don't like Ghost. That's fine. Um, I actually did listen to that episode, though. I did. I'm surprised how many people did listen to that episode. Um, well, which one, the hotel room one or the uh, the uh, the well, album both. review? Actually, both of them. Yeah, I listened to both of them. Dude, the hotel room one was so fun. I, I probably wasn't entertaining for a whole lot of people, but I had a whole lot of fun, and that's what's. Oh fun. yeah, drunken shenanigans the best. Yeah, um, I will see Tobias. I love you, buddy. I'll see you soon. But uh, this is a, a brew called Mahalo, and it's one of my favorite words. And it's a pineapple beer. So good for my wife later. Let's see how this tastes, though. (laughs) Getting canceled for that one. (laughs) She's going to cancel when she hears that. Oh, my gosh. That's really good. I think I might have tried it in the hotel room before the concert, but it was a little warm and it wasn't that good. But this is actually fucking excellent. Hell yeah, brother. All right. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah, brother! All right, man. That's a not. That's a sound bite I need to get. Is uh, you have to have that. Hulk Hogan, saying, brother. Um, let's talk about. Oh, I've been behind on my soundboard. I'll, I'll get some in there. Um, let's talk a little bit about FTOing. So, how long have you been an FTO for? 
just over two years. Okay. Now you sent me a message a couple months ago and you're like, man, I am fucking done with this shit. I don't know what to do. How did, how, I guess we'll start from the beginning. What, what I can't speak. I promise. What was the, um, where were you at kind of, as far as what inspired you to send that message as far as like, I'm fucking done. So everybody else knows about it. And then where are you at now with it? Um, so I guess I became an FTO because I didn't have a great field training experience. Um, I had a couple, I had two good FTOs, one really good one. And I had two not so great, one really terrible, like ride with him. I wanted to quit every day. And I was like, man, you know, I, my background had a lot of teaching experience, not like as a, as a teacher in school, but just various things I've done. And I, so I knew how to teach people, how to teach both kids and adults. And so I was like, man, I kind of got this cop thing figured out a little bit. So I'm going to throw my hat in the ring, be an FTO and, and try and teach these new guys. Because my department, we've struggled with staffing the last five years. Uh, it predates all the, the, the protest stuff. Um, we've, we've been struggling with staffing. Um, and so we, we're still, we're actually the lowest we've been in five years. We went up for a while, then we went back down. But, uh, so we had a lot of new guys coming in. I wanted to help you know, teach them right, teach them the way that, some of the ways that I've been taught and some stuff that I've learned. And so, I mean, straight out of the gate, I went almost nine months without the car to myself. Um, anybody that's ever been an FTO knows that feeling where you're just like, dude, I'm done. Like, I need a day to myself. You know, you feel like a babysitter almost, like you've got this anchor you're dragging around with you because you're trying to make sure that, you know, they learn what they need to learn. You're teaching them what you have to teach them, you know, tips, tricks, whatever you picked up, you know, while also keeping an eye on your safety, their safety, making sure they're not doing anything illegal or unsafe. And so it's a lot going on at one time, even on a simple call. And then there's all the documentation afterwards. You know, you have to document everything. I don't know how other places do it, but ours is we actually have a, we have to type out every call. It's kind of a brief synopsis of the call and like what they did, good, bad, what we taught them, what they learned. And the shift I work is the busiest shift in my department. Um, my one shift handles almost half the calls for all the patrol. Um, so we're super busy. And so it was a run of just getting off two, three hours late every single day. Um, and like I said, back to back to back rookies. We had multiple FTOs out on light duty due to injuries and sickness. So we we're short on FTOs. We had a bunch of rookies. It was just, it was just burnout, right? And so I, there was this part of me and why I reached out to you is like, part of me wants to quit because I'm just, I'm done. I've only been FTO for like a year, but I'm already, I've already trained like 10 rookies in this year. Um, and, but I was like, I don't want to quit because, you know, I haven't, I've barely done this for a year and I still want to teach, but it's like, I need a break. Um, and so I was like, man, I don't know what to do. I want to quit. But I don't want to quit. And I actually ended up, uh, <laughs> telling the FTO coordinator, man, I, I can't do it. I hang it. I'm hanging it up. And then, uh, literally the next day 
there, this FTO, who's a good friend of mine, was like really sick or something's gonna be out for a little while. So I was like, look, I'll take your rookie. And then I was, I was like, why am I quitting? You know, I still want to train. And so I literally went back the next day, did a 180. He's like, you know what, man, I'll take it back. I'm going to keep doing it. Um, I still want to teach. I still want to do it right. And so that's been, you know, almost a year later, I'm still doing it. So I have a lot of things I want to talk about. <laughs> I'm a dick because I just said, this podcast is about you. Well, I'm going to talk some more. Um, I, I, FTO is kind of near and dear to me because and I, I probably talked about it on the podcast. I don't remember, but I, I didn't really have aspirations as far as detective or sergeant, although that sounded good towards the end being a sergeant because I thought I could affect some change there. But I, FTO is one of those things that I, I thought I could be good at and I would really like to do it. Because like you, I, I came not necessarily from a teaching background, but I came from a management background. And so I, I did train people. So I had some experience with that. I had already dealt with some of the failures and learned like that doesn't work. This works. And, and I think something for everybody out there, you have to understand that, you know, you may have a way of doing things, but there are different learning styles. And uh, you know, I, I felt like I, I would see some, some recruits get a lot away with a lot of shit, but then I'd also see some recruits where I'm like, they're, they're fine. They're not bad, but their FTO is, is they're just not meshing. So I thought I could be a good FTO, but early on I got sent, I, I like one of my first reviews ever. So like right out of the gate, um, out of FTO, I got a review and they're like, Hey, what do you want to do with your career? And I said, down the line, I think I would like to be an FTO, but I want to figure things out first. The next week I was in the FTO class and <laughs> I didn't want that, but you know, they say, Hey, go to the training. What are you going to tell them? No. And exactly. so I, I went and it, don't get me wrong. The training was great. Um, fantastic. guy trained it. I went to an outside agency for it and it was, it was great training, but being a new cop and still learning, I was so overwhelmed with everything. I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not putting in for it. And then yeah. I later got deterred from it because I, you know, I talked to my old FTOs and they said, Hey, look, these guys suck worse than you. And we can't, you know, we can't, the department doesn't, you know, we, part of the responsibility, I think on an FTO and we'll, we'll I want to hear your take on it is there are some people that, you know, maybe they get through the Academy. Okay. But they get into FTO and it's very clear that they are not going to be cops. And okay. what I observed is there were some people that got through training that I personally, my opinion, just being on a few calls with them, not being their FTO, I thought really a needed either more time or they shouldn't have been there, but mm -hmm. because of staffing shortages and they'd already invested so much money anyway, they would push through a lot of people. Yeah. We deal with the same issues, unfortunately. Um, and one thing you know, I try and remind myself is I have them for one phase four or five weeks, depending on the phase. I have to teach them to the phase, the standard of the phase they are in, right? I can't expect them to operate at a level they're supposed to operate at the end of training when they're in their first phase. And so that's something I have to constantly remind myself is when they're with me, I have to train them to the standard of this phase. Can they meet the standard? Do they meet or exceed the standard of this phase? 
Yes or no? If yes, then move them on. You can tell a lot of them, yes, they shouldn't be cops. And we've pulled rookies aside and set them down and been like, are you sure you want to do this? Because we don't think it's a good fit for you based on what we've seen. Um, there are rookies we've had to do that to. Um, we've fired, even with our staffing issues, we've fired several of them for either disciplinary issues or stuff they've done wrong. Again, they're just not cutting it. We've given them more than enough opportunity and they're just, they're just not getting it. Um, so yeah, that does happen. We've had plenty of people push through who probably shouldn't have been, you know, it's one thing if you're in your first or second phase of training and you're having some issues, that's to be expected. But when you're at the end of your last phase going into like your ghosting phase or whatever your agency calls it, and you're still having these issues from the first and second phase, probably shouldn't, probably shouldn't be there. My ghosting phase was in high school when the girls wouldn't respond my text. But um, sorry. (laughs) Facts. Uh, Wait, y'all had texting in high school at your age? No, actually, that's not true. I had my um. This funny story. I was actually driving on this road I hadn't been on in a long time, and uh, years in fact, like twenty years. And I was like, man, I remember driving out this way and I had my fucking Nokia phone with uh, a snake on it. And I had to buy my minutes at the gas station and shit. I I think I was like 19 or 20. So I I didn't have my first cell phone until I was out of high school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't get my first one until sophomore, junior year. Yeah. Um, But but yeah, we we deal with a lot of the same issues still today, unfortunately. And I just try and like, Wait a second. You said at my age, how fucking old do you think I am? I don't know. Like 50? No, I'm I know you said like, the podcast is fucking over. Fuck you. <laughs> okay, go on. Sorry, Grandpa. Uh, but uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, I so. No, man. I just, I, 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 I was replaying what we you said. Like, Wait thing. a fucking second. <laughs> Slid that in there real quick. That's what she said. I was waiting for that. Um, so yeah, the, you talked about the quality of. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Um, yeah, you talked about the quality of recruits. Um, that unfortunately is an issue we're dealing with too. Um, it kind of it kind of comes in waves, and it depends on the academy class. Like I, I teach at the academy too. Um, I, I teach. There's four of us from my, well, two from my agency, two from the bigger sister agency of ours to the north of us. And we we're like a teaching team and we teach the week long, like basic patrol procedures, right? Where we take everything you learn in the academy, we put it together to get you ready for the street and we put you through these practical scenarios and stuff. And I've noticed it's kind of, it comes in waves. Like we'll get an academy with, you know, a bunch of switched on people and, you know, a bunch of them are maybe veterans, you know, maybe they actually saw combat, maybe they didn't, but they're kind of switched on. And then the next academy will be a bunch of goobers. Like it just. <laughs> I love that fucking term. Goobers, a bunch of fucking goobers. <laughs> I mean, it's appropriate. Like some of them are just like, how did you graduate high school? Let alone get into the police academy, you know? <laughs> so it's not just agency specific. It's, it's kind of across the board. Um, this last academy we had, a bunch of goobers the one before it <laughs> the one before it was 
out of 30 cadets, which is the max size, I think like 16 of them were veterans. And they were, for the most part, pretty squared away. Um, it's kind of, you get what you get. And I, as an FTO, I, I had a little bit of a different mindset, right? The old way was, at least in my department, was look for a reason to fire them, right? Um, you know, try and find some reason to get rid of them. Okay. I look at it as it's my job to mold them into a competent professional who's going to be my backup on the street, who I'm going to work beside, right? Because these people, these people coming from training are going to be the guy backing you up on that burglary call at two o'clock in the morning or when the situation goes south, right? So you have a vested interest in making sure they're trained properly. Um, and, and that's how I look at it. And, and to me, it's the FTO's responsibility to fix those problems. And again, a lot of that comes from like I've heard in my upbringing. I come from a problem-solving right? If you can't figure it out, you know, find someone who can help you figure it. And I do that all the time. I'll go to senior officers and I'm like, man, I'm having this issue with this, this rookie. Like I've done X, Y, and Z. Man, can you help me out? Right. And I don't have a problem putting a rookie in like immediate training and send them to an FTO who I know is very good at this. You know, whatever the issue may be, okay, FTO, you know, Smith over here is really good at this particular thing. So I'm going to send them to you for a week, help them fix that issue, and we'll bring them back to me, and we'll see where they're at. Um, so a lot of it is, yeah, quality of rookies isn't the best, but also quality of FTOs isn't the best either. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, and let me jump in a, a little bit here because there was a couple things I wanted to hit. The quality, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, there was this old mindset of they're looking for reasons to fire people. And that's actually, that's what my dad told me about my old agency is like, they're going to look for a reason to fire you. I didn't experience that. I think pretty much every, I, we had one guy wash out, um, one guy that barely washed out. I, I think there was, that's a story there, but I, I think he would have been okay. Uh, but I, I think there's a balance, right? Where it went from a time where I, Again, I can't speak for all agency, but, but probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it went from a time where they were washing people out that probably would have been just fine with a little extra time. I don't have an issue with people getting a little bit of extra time. That's fine. Some people just need a week or two, maybe three weeks. Um, but, you know, we started on the opposite end of that. I started hearing stories where people were getting extended for months. Yes. And, and I get it. Police work is not something you're going to figure out and like, you're not going to figure it out in FTO. You're, you're going to need some time, but they, they're mm -hmm. not in a position where people feel comfortable or safe enough to have them out on the road. And I saw several instances of that. So, you know, we had this problem before where guys and gals were getting washed out and they'd go to some other agency and they would be fucking phenomenal cops. I heard tons of stories about that. Like, oh yeah, they washed out this dude. He's a fucking sergeant over here. He fucking kicks ass. Everybody loves him. He's a great cop. Some people just yeah. need a little bit more time. Again, that kind of goes <laughs> back to my thing about different you know different learning styles I, it is what it is but now i i think sometimes and and again i can't speak for everywhere but now you have this issue where it's it's clear that somebody look it's it's just not for everybody and somebody is going to be a dangerous cop and when i say dangerous i mean to themselves and to their backup mm -hmm. um because yeah. they don't react or they don't react properly yeah. and we're pushing them through 
that so again like we always swing too far like we went from like oh my god we're throwing away money because these people are good but you're just fucking with them for no reason to all right we just everybody's got to pass there has to be a middle ground yeah and that's again an issue that i have to deal with right uh but you brought up the going to different agencies we've had that happen we've had guys who we're like so we're a really busy agency really violent city we work in um for a city of 50 6,000 people, we have 12 to 15 murders a year, 40, 50 plus shootings a year. Um, so we're we're really busy. Um, we handle a lot of calls. And there are some people that just can't handle that pace. And so they'll go to a neighboring city or another like school, university police or something, and they'll be a rock star. Some people just, maybe they need to go somewhere a little bit slow. It's everybody's different. You know, there's a place for everybody along to an extent. Um, but yeah, in my agency, we've swung to that push everybody through because we need bodies. Um, and I don't want to shit talk my department, but our administration is fucking with the training program too much. Um, they're not getting rid of people we absolutely should get rid of. Um, and when we, like with my training coordinator, he's going to get rid of somebody that doesn't need to be there. Um, and it's like they genuinely don't need to be there. We've tried everything. We've got dozens of pages of documentation. We've tried all these different things to fix them. They're not getting it uh, or they're just not cut out for this or they're just dangerous. And the administration wants to fight us. Sometimes. It's like, no, these people don't need to be here. Uh, and thankfully, they've come around pretty much every time they were rid of them, but or most time the, the rookie quits before they get fired. Um, but yeah, it's unfortunately something we do deal with. Um, in fact, uh, this one rookie, he's the only to this day the only rookie I've had direct termination for. Um, I've been able to pretty much fix fix, but any rookie I've had real problems with, been able to get them to a point where they could, you know, at least meet the standard. And there's this one rookie, he just, he couldn't get it. And it's not like he was a kid. This is like a 40-year-old man who was, this wasn't his first department he'd been to. He'd been kicked out of training at two other departments that were smaller and <laughs> more potent than us without formal training programs. He'd been kicked out of those departments. And he comes to us and makes it all the way to the end of training when he shouldn't have. And I was like, I had him at the end. I was like, man, he, we've given him every opportunity. He's had, he's maxed out his additional training time. And he's just, he does not need to be a cop. Like his personality, um, he, he pulled some shit in training that he should have been fired for immediately. And he just, he wasn't. And we pushed to get him terminated. And eventually he quit uh, before he got terminated. I think he was, the chief actually was going to fire him, uh, but he quit. And then like a month later, the department's like, oh, well, we're going to hire him back and put him in training again. And I was like, are you kidding me? You know, I showed in, I showed up for a day shift overtime, right? And at the time, the training coordinator was a day shift lieutenant. And 
I come walking in, you know, check in with him, say, hey, I'm here. He's like, hey, you want to hear something piss you off? And I was like, sure, what is it? It's like, well, the Chiefs hiring this rookie back. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? And I went and wrote a, like, page-long memo set basically saying, I disagree with this. This is a liability to the department. I said, I will not – I said, I will follow the chain of command. I said, but I will not train him. Like, I, I have recommended his determination. I cannot train him, and I, I will not train him. And I told the coordinator, I said, man, if they hire him back, I'm turning my FTO bench or FTO pin. I'm not, I'm not doing this. And eventually it caused enough of an uproar in the training program that they realized it was going to negatively affect the department. They decided not to hire him back. I couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing. Some people, and I don't know, I, I have my opinions on some things, but, but, but again, it's my, my opinion on, what that mm-hmm. individual officer was based on a few calls and yeah. without knowing the whole story, but there, there's definitely a few people where I'm just, holy cow, but yeah. you brought up something, two things I, I really wanted to talk about. The first thing, the robot thing, and I've mentioned it before on the podcast is just be a human being on calls, but yeah. I think you're right. When people get out of the Academy, you know, they, they think everybody's going to kill them, which I'm not, maybe they are. I don't know the way things are going. I, Again, I'm, I'm a firm believer of be nice to everybody, but have a plan how to kill them. Exactly. Um, but, you know, everybody comes out of the academy very paranoid, very stiff, and very robotic. And let's be honest, if you've ever had a, generally, if you've had a bad interaction with a cop, that's part of it. Now, there, now there's some people that are very loose with it, so to speak, and they're fucking assholes. That happens too. But uh, to be honest, the, the, the folks that I, I've met on the street that, may not like cops they handle the cops a little better that are real with them that don't fucking bullshit them that don't you know talk Uh to them like they're human beings and not like the robotic you know uh, robocop shit yeah um i've been on scenes where i've you know somebody i've dealt with repeatedly right Uh, i'm like the backup officer or something i get there and you know the officer the lead officer is dealing with dude you can tell it's going south and I'll just walk and be like, hey, man, you know, hey, so-and-so, how's it going, man? And, just, you know, I'll say, hey, look, talk to me, man. And and, and we're, we're pretty good department-wise about that, about, you know, if the lead officer, if, if things aren't meshing with this dude, to hand it off to back, like, we're pretty good about that. And so, you know, kind of, it's like, I'm not dissing you. It's like, man, go talk to me. You know, we got a relationship and, you know, pull them aside and talk to them, that kind of de-escalates everything, figure it out. And that's what I teach my guys. It's like, if you're, if you're cool with these people from the, from the get go, you're going to have less problems down the road. They're going to, they're going to be more willing to work with you, to talk to you, to give you information. And I always tell them, like, don't let your guard down. These are still some dangerous people, but I've talked to dudes who I know have bodies on them, multiple bodies. And I've talked to them by the first name and had conversations with them. I had one tell me, he's like, man, I want to get on this lifestyle. You know, I got a kid, I got a you know, girl and all this. And I'm like, well, dude, that's on you. Like, I've had real conversations with some pretty evil people. And uh, unfortunately, he didn't get out of lifestyle. He's actually in prison right now for waiting trial for a couple murders. But, uh, well, he didn't want out of it too bad. Yeah, he didn't want out of it too bad because after that conversation, he shot like two more people for the next few months. So. Overall, a good guy, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The second point I I really wanted to hit was the quality of FTOs. 
in my experience, and, and I'll go on here, it, it's, it's, at least at my department, it was kind of this problem of a lot of us bitched because the FTOs were essentially newer officers, which it sounds like you started as a newer guy. In yeah. my, my opinion, and, and again, this isn't a hard fast rule, but I'd like to see guys have at least, guys and gals have at least five years on-ish before mm-hmm. being an FTO, and sometimes that's not practical. But part of the reason it's not practical there was plenty of people in my department that had experience that would be good FTOs, but no one wanted to do it. Let me try that again. No one wanted to do that. Uh, like Steve Corral um, in uh, what's that movie? Uh, oh, uh, Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty, yeah. But no one wanted to do it. No one wanted to be an FTO, but then they bitched about the program. And I will raise my hand right there. Yes. That's my okay. fucking, that's me right there is I bitched about the program, but I wouldn't fucking do it. I would, I'd fill in. You know, if they, you know, there wasn't an FTO, they, you know, I've been to the training, I'll, I'll help out. You know, I'd fill, I'd even do the DORs and fill out all that shit, which I, you know, the few times I did it, it's a total fucking pain in the ass. You know, part of the reason I didn't want to do it is because of what you were talking about. Like, I don't want somebody in my car all the time. And don't get me wrong, I love riding two man with my friends. But if, if it's somebody I maybe I don't know and I'm training them all the time, that, that wears on you a lot. And, you have the extra responsibility of you may still be doing some reports because, you know, you got to do a report. You're on scene, depending on what it is. And then you have the added, you know, the documenting all the calls and, and what the F what they did wrong. And then the training time. And it would, I would just, I just felt like it would get old. And that was part of the reason is I didn't want to submerse myself in that knowing, especially with the shortages, I was going to have a fucking boot in my car all the time. And yeah. So it's kind of this double-edged sword. And here's the other thing too, is I'm a believer the FTO, an FTO is one of the most, maybe the most important positions on the police department because they're really responsible for molding the cops that come out. And so if you want to affect change within your police department and you want good cops going out there, mm-hmm. you know, that have gotten good training, but, I mean, cause people, people are who they are, but you can, you can kind of point people in the right direction and take them under their wing. You, you have to, you have to do it, I guess, as you know, my, I guess my two cents on that is, is you really can't bitch about something if you're not going to go in, ahead and, and make yourself the change, so to speak. Yep. Um, yeah. You, you hit it on the head, man. There's, there's some FTOs who are in it for the wrong reasons. Um, in my department, we have, we actually have some pretty good benefits being FTO. We get a pretty good chunk of change every month. Uh, we just, in our last contract, we got a, where we get a half hour of overtime every day. We actually train somebody. I mean, we, we get some good perks being FTO, and that's why some people do it, and that's the wrong reason for it. Um, and, you know, you go back to the how long you've been an officer before you can FTO. I really think it's person-specific. You know, there are some guys, like, I had three years on when I became FTO, but I was teaching guys with 15, 20 years experience I was teaching them stuff sometimes. So it's kind of officer specific. You've got some super mature, you know, three, four year officers who are very competent, very mature, you can handle it. You've got some 10, 15 year guys who I wouldn't trust them with, you know, the fact they carry a loaded gun every day. Like that amazes me. Um, so it's a lot of it's officer specific too. But yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the molding the future generation of officers is incredibly important. Because like I said, you're training your future backup. If they're terrible, you know, that 
that terrible officer may be the only one who can help you that night. And you're like, oh, crap. Officer so-and-so is coming? Great. I'm going to die. And that's a lot of what I think about is this person is going to be my coworker in a few months. So I want them to be as competent and prepared as I can make them. And I remember distinctly, uh, it was almost a little over a year ago, I had a rookie. He was late in training, probably about, he was in kind of middle of phase four. And we went to this criminal mischief. Um, guy got his truck keyed up pretty good in a Walmart parking lot. And normally, you know, it's a routine call, right? Well, the guy whose truck got keyed up was, was a firefighter. And, you know, they're, they're our brothers. So I kind of went a little bit extra to help him figure, to find out he did it. You know, the Walmarts in our area have very good cameras in the parking lot. So I was like, hey, let's run over there. We know what time he was there. Let's see if we can pull video, see who did it. Something simple like that. Go to the store and pull video. And my rookie were driving over there and looks at me. He goes, you know, you're the only FTO I've had who's done, who does follow-ups. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you're the only FTO I've had to actually investigate stuff. I was like, what? Like, you've never done this with other training officers? He goes, no, we just take the report and go on. We don't actually look for evidence or investigate. And I was just mind blown. So like, that's such a basic thing for me that I was like, really? They're not, they're not teaching you this? That's insane. I, I had this, I don't know, it always sticks out in my mind, but I wasn't an FTO, but it was my rookie year on graveyards and we had this call and I don't think anybody died, but there was a shooting at one of the unlawful houses and somebody found the car and stopped the guy on the highway. It's like two, three in the morning. And, um, you know, I, I had stopped by the stop and they said, Hey, we're good, but we're pretty sure he threw a gun out the car. Can you go look for it on the highway? I said, fuck, fuck yeah, sure. I'll go look for it. So I'm out there walking, you know, the side of the highway, which I have a side story about that, which we're here. I'll share it. Um, not to go too far off track, but it was cold. It was winter. And on the other side of this fence on the highway, there was a, like a child size. Um, I don't know. What's the fuck? Like snow pants type thing with like a jacket, like the whole thing. It was like a one piece, like winter puffy thing. And I don't oh. know why, but it was like, it was puffed up. And so it's on the other side of this fence. And I'm like, is there a fucking dead kid out here? So I went from like, I'm just looking for a gun to like immediate panic. What yeah. the fuck? And I was out there with another cop. And I'm like, what the fuck? And they're like, dude, it's just closed. And I was like, what if it's not closed? We got to do something. And I did the mature thing is I poked, I, I found a stick long enough that went through the fence and I, I poked it. And then, you know, all the air let out. Right. And so there's no kid in there. And hold on a second. What if there was a kid in there? Oh, you're actually right. How am I going to articulate my report that I poked this deceased, you know, this this corpse with a stick to see if it was dead or not, or to see if it was a person? By the way, rookie shit, by the way. Um, Dumb stuff. We've all done it. We've all done it. Graveyards, I I honestly think sometimes you just don't like, don't think that shit out very well. Um, I didn't think anything of it at the time. And then I was like, later on, I was like, did I fucking do that? What the fuck? (laughs) But, but anyway. So we're, we're out there looking for the gun. I don't, I don't think we ever found the gun, but I, I, I looked hard for the gun. You know, that's an important part of evidence. And probably like 45 minutes, an hour later, I go back up to the stop and said, hey, I, you know, I didn't find it. You got anywhere else for me to look? And they said, no. 
And uh, I said, hey, do you guys talk to him? See what they said? No, we're calling out the detectives. What do you mean? We're calling out the detectives as a shooting. You can read Miranda. You can talk to these fucking people. The detective's going to do the same thing as you. And I don't like, I hate that shit. And, you know, I remember distinctly one of my, and I'm going to toot my own horn again for like the eighth time on the podcast, but I, I was on this call with my, you know, one of the guys I used to work with and it was just like a hit and run or something. And he goes, man, if I, you know, I, I would never do anything like this. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, why? What? I mean, he's like, you do fucking great follow-up, man. I don't know how you do it. And I said, you have a computer, you have access to all the same programs. I'm not doing anything extraordinary. I'm just fucking yeah. looking in these fucking databases for people to yes. try and find their location. It's, I like that shit. I can't believe don't people don't like that shit. That's fucking fun to fucking find somebody. Absolutely. I, I hate like, uh, why are you a cop? If you just want to fucking punt it off to somebody else, let's fucking go find them. Take them to jail. You're preaching to the choir. That's one thing like, I got to tell my guys. It's like, Quit relying on everybody else, right? You're a cop. Do cop shit. Cop shit is talking to people, finding leads, finding evidence, interviewing people. Like, I, so we talked about, you know, like DWIs are my bread and butter, but I, I love the detective type work, the investigating. Um, I love interviewing people. I love the, doing the follow-ups, the leads, the looking for for information on people like there's a great feeling when you spend 20 minutes trying to identify a suspect and you finally do it and you're like yes it paid off you know I, I used everything i know and i figure out who the suspect was or whatever and it's it's great like it's a great feeling and that's why i try and teach my guys to do that because i don't want an officer who doesn't know how to do anything next to me. you know too too many officers at least in my department don't see rely too heavily on supervisors they call sergeant for everything in our policies there's like two or three things i have to ask supervisor for permission for other than that i'm free to do my job as long as i follow the laws and policies you know in texas we have what's called the code of criminal procedure we have you know our penal code and our traffic code and all that yeah you said penal (laughs) penal The CCP tells us how to apply that, when we can and can't arrest somebody, um, when we can and can't go into a house or stuff like that, right? And I'm like, I've had arguments with sergeants who said, you can't arrest that person. Motherfucker, right here in black and white, it says I can't. Well, you should have called an ass. Policy says I don't have to. You, you trust me with a badge, a gun, and a police car. I mean, you trust me to handle all this stuff, and yet... Now, in this situation, all of a sudden, I have to call you to ask permission to make... No. I'm a grown-ass man. I'm an experienced cop at this point. I know what I can and can't do. I've made enough mistakes at this point to know what I can and can't do. I can't, absolutely can't do this. Why are we arguing this? And that's something I've noticed is, again, it goes to just not great training. Uh, FTOs not knowing this stuff to pass it on. And so rookies aren't getting this information they need to know. And that's why I'm always, every rookie that comes in, I, I give them my number. I'm like, well, if you need anything, go to your FTO first. And if they can't help you, don't hesitate to call me and I'll help you figure it out. Because I've seen so much of that lately and it's frustrating. Yeah, I, I guess my advice is if you're on a shift with a rookie that sucks, that is out of FTO, take them under your wing. Who gives a shit? Absolutely. 
Now, there's uh, been a few where I've tried to take it under my wing and they don't want any part of it and they duck, think they fucking know everything. All right. I can't help you, but I tried and I can live with that. I tried. I tried. You didn't want my help. I tried. Is what it is. I, I wanted to touch on the, the, you know, being an adult with a badge and a gun thing. And I, I have kind of a theory on that. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I think, and I don't know how many people are on your shift, but generally most shifts I worked, I'd say, all right, well, most of these people are okay, but there was usually two or three on the shift that I knew were really competent cops that, mm-hmm. um, and I think maybe some people think I'm an asshole. I don't know. I, I I'm like an anxiety filled fucking moron sometimes, but like I was a really confident cop and I, I really felt like I knew what I was doing. And I, I, I think I was really good at it, but I think sometimes cops get that complex that they're really good at shit and they don't trust anybody else. And I think because typically like a sergeant or lieutenant, they don't have like management experience on the outside world. They, you know, really any brass. And so you kind of go from that cop mindset where like, I'm really smart. I know everything. And that's a cop thing too. Right. Cause cops will fucking argue everything with each other, <laughs> everything. Absolutely. And that's something we haven't really talked about on the podcast, but Yes, the stupidest shit cops will argue about. Like, oh no, that's bullshit. This is you know, I I was taught this. The shift meeting conversations are just something else, man. Oh yeah, yeah. There's always arguments about what's wrong or right, and it's funny. You know, you may have a shift briefing where they're like, "Nope, we're not doing that. That is not something we do." And then like two weeks later, like, "Oh, by the way, what we talked about, you know, last Monday, actually, you can do that." I've had that happen in the same shift. But then they'll they'll change your mind. Like I, I remember a big thing when I started. And I think there's some case law that settled that I'd have to do a little research, but it was, you know, can people get out of the car during a traffic stop? And, you know, guys were like, no, they fucking cannot do that unless we tell them they can get out And there. You know, then you have other guys are like, no, they're not seized owner. The driver is seized. And no one really fucking knew on my department, you know, forever and shit like that. Because here's the other thing, folks, case law changes all the fucking time with that kind of shit. It's, it's crazy. But I lost track of what I was going to say. Where was I going with this? Um, oh, but but my theory on all that, though, is I think sometimes sergeants and lieutenants, because, you know, they have that, they want, it's a control thing as far as like they, you know, the type A, you know, quote unquote thing with cops is they want to be, they want to know everything that's going on and they want to have their fingers and everything that's going on. And so now not all bosses are like that, but I've definitely experienced bosses like that, that they want everything run by them. And it's like, Dude, I worked with you on the street as a cop last year. You yep. know the quality of work that I do. Like, fuck off, man. Just because you're a sergeant now doesn't mean you can fucking try and finger my butthole, you know? <laughs> Despite how good it may feel. Uh, I mean, it allegedly. I mean, you'd be alleged- expert on that. Alle- Professor Patricia says. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, and a lot of it goes to, like, liability, right? They're in charge of the shift that day. You know, it falls on them. They're still responsible for our action. So, oh yeah, and is, that's a part of it too that I think cops don't understand. Yeah, is a lot of it is they they don't want to get in trouble. Um, they, you know, I'll run stuff by them. Like I tell them, hey, this happened. I'm just like, you no, know, give me a heads up. This happens. What I did. If it's something uh, that maybe they do need to know about, yeah, absolutely, give them a heads up. Um, and there's in our policy, if certain types of calls happen, we're supposed to notify them. Yeah, no problem. Anytime that happens. I'll say, hey, look, this this little guy going on. This is what we've done so far. 
Um, this is what I'm planning on doing. And I'm like, you have any questions, anything like that? Okay, cool. Let me go do my job. And uh, you brought up a good point about working from on the street. Um, all four sergeants on my shift were officers up until the last year, year and a half. I've worked with every single one of them as a patrol grade officer. Um, so I have a pretty decent relationship with them. I can usually, you know, talk to them like a normal person. Um, and that helps, helps a lot. Um, but a lot of the younger officers, you know, they don't have that relationship with them. So, you know, they're, they have those issues like you were talking about. Well, and to be honest, I think it's a confidence thing too. And it, again, it's a personality thing. I couldn't answer how every sergeant's going to act. I just feel like if I was a sergeant and you came to me and you're confident in what you're saying and you're, you're knowledgeable about what you're saying, I'm probably going to leave you alone. You know, I think you could probably tell for the most part after a few reports. Now, I always hated when sergeant, you knew when they didn't read them. You, you always mm-hmm. knew there, there's no way you read this report. Uh, I just sent it in three minutes ago and it's like a fucking opus, right? Um, yeah. You didn't read the report. I didn't like that because I, I'm not infallible. I might fuck something up. I, I like to say exactly. the eyes just to make sure. But there's definitely, you know, it, it's, it can be a difficult, a difficult balance for sure. Yeah, like I'm not saying I never go to supervisor. I ask questions, but I'm at the point where I've got to the level of competency and confidence in my skills and my knowledge that I rarely have to ask. But if I need to ask, I will. Um, it goes back to what I said earlier. If you don't know, ask somebody who does. And I usually call, you know, either detectives I'm good with or officers who I know have a specialty. Uh, you know, like there's a the director of our academy. He retired from our department last year and he was a 20 plus year traffic guy he knows the traffic code and rec reports inside out backwards forwards left right anytime i have a question i call him up hey man this is what i got you know what do you think i have no problems asking for help um i just don't rely on them i don't depend on them you know i, I don't immediately well i don't know someone to call supervisor i try to figure it out first and then if i can't i'll call somebody and ask I got, I got to be honest, man. I, I don't always enjoy talking shop because it, I think everybody kind of understands it sometimes. And I'll actually steal something from a donut, which I know not everybody loves donut anymore. Um, but I, you know, he stopped doing cop stuff for a while because it just, it, it wears on you a little bit, but I really enjoyed talking shop with you, man. You really represented everything going on really well, man. It was a, a really fun conversation. And honestly, you know, we have a few tangents in there, but we hit, you know, we hit your OIS. We hit the uh, really two main topics, which is we're really crazy for this podcast. Usually we fucking go crazy on all kinds of fucking shit. Um, well, let's, let's call my tangent in the middle three, but you know what's coming now. I have some burning questions that the millions of followers have, and I may change. Uh, I, I mean, coming up, you guys send me a message about this, um, that anybody that's invested in this, because it, I feel um, followers of the podcast, they need something to refer to themselves as. I think, you know, any good band, you know, they have that, right? What they call themselves or whatever. Um, I've thought about the millions. That's kind of up there. What do you think about the authors? (laughs) But spelled A-W-T-H-E-R-S. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. You can have like an otter as the mascot. Like a little- <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that would be funny. Yeah. If I made like an otter, my mascot for the podcast. 
Uh, marketing people but with that said the the authors have a lot of burning questions for you are you ready let's do it all right good sir what is the best patrol car of all time oh that's probably gonna be the crown victoria man um i actually trained one drove in the academy for the for the police you know driving course um we didn't have them on patrol we still had some Dodge Chargers, and my first assigned unit was a Charger. That bitch is fast, by the way. I know you're not the biggest fan of Chargers, but... I, I own a Charger. I liked it. Oh, okay. Um, I actually got into a pursuit of a murder suspect. doing like I, I hit 130 on that thing. I was like, probably shouldn't go any faster. Um, but I will say, anybody who grew up in Texas in the 80s and 90s will probably remember this. Going back to state troopers, they had the coolest cop cars growing up. They had Camaros. Uh, they had uh, fastback late 80s model Mustangs because our state police don't have cages in the cars. They still don't today. And so they had these like awesome, badass, souped up two door, uh, you know, black and white cop cars back in the day that were just amazing. I don't know. I'm torn. Um, the Colorado troopers had the fucking the Camaros back in the day. I. Yeah. I've really, I, I, I'm not a car guy. I'm trying to think what generation Camaro, but uh, don't like the new Camaros are fucking sick. And I wish I could afford one. They're really cool. Although out of all the new sports cars, uh, I might go with a challenger. It, it'd be, it'd be tough between those two. And, and I, I used to be a Mustang guy. I'd say challenger Camaro, but they're both excellent choices. The, the old like nineties, are those like the third generation, maybe Gen 4, Gen 3 Camaros? I don't, I don't exactly remember, but yeah, like the early 90s models. Dude, I thought they were so cool, and I still think they're they Occasionally, I'll see one on Craigslist, and for a guy that knows dick about cars, I have a really strange obsession with, not Craigslist, but getting on Facebook Marketplace and looking at cars that I, I'm never going <laughs> to buy. I fucking love it. Um, I saw like a 96 like Ford wagon, and I was like, oh, that's fucking cool. But I got a weird thing with cars, but those old Camaros, you know, Colorado State Patrol had those too. They are really fucking cool. And now I'm going to get on eBay and see if I can get a miniature model of it because I'm a fucking nerd. Thanks. I like the uh, the like 88, 89 model Mustangs. The state police used to have had the big, long, you know, whip antenna coming off the back. You'd see one of those things just tearing on the highway. It's like, yeah, America. <sighs> I hate those Mustangs. As a Mustang guy, um, those five O's, the eighties five O's, they were really fucking cool. They're no, I won't say they're really fucking cool. They are fast. They were terrifying. Oh, so of fast. Had one so fast, yeah. but they, yes. they were ugly. I, oh, I they're ugly. Don't get me wrong. They're the ugliest version of Mustangs, but my grandmother had, that was her car growing up when I was a kid. She had a, like a, it was like an 87, 88 Mustang. And yeah, that thing is crazy fast, but it's funny. I, eh, it's still the crown Vic, but this I res, I do, you know what I respect that you went a different direction with it. I do respect that. So, but props for that. Um, and I, I I gotta be honest, man. I I do appreciate when people don't necessarily simp to the crown Vic, but I also appreciate when they do. It's it's kind of a problem. It's a great car, and, and like I said, dude, when we trained on them, that was the best week in the academy. Um, and I remember one of the instructors. I was kind of hesitant. At one part, he's like, is it your car? You pay the note? No. Then drive that bitch like you stole it. <laughs> yes, sir. 
you know what? I again, I'm going to steal the microphone. I have a good Crown Vic story, and it's a recent Crown Vic story. Um, I haven't. I don't know why. I just haven't driven the Vic in a while. Um, you know, family shit going on, so I, I haven't really been had some alone time in a while to drive the Vic, and it's not great for car seats. But you know, like one time I drove and it was overheating. It was just fluid. But so I hadn't driven it in a while. And the other day I was out in it fucking around with something I don't remember. And my oldest comes out and come ask me a question and he opens the passenger door and he leans into the door onto the door and he just fucking starts screaming. I'm like, what's wrong with you? And he said, you know, something poked me, something stung me. So we're, what the fuck? I didn't, I never saw anything, no, nothing fly up. And so I didn't know what the fuck it was. So we take him inside and, you know, look at it very clearly like a, a wasp or a hornet sting or whatever. So, you know, we do the thing, ice it up. He's good to go. No big deal. So the next day we come out and he's, you know, I was doing something else and he's like, I need to investigate the scene of the crime. Opens up the door. There's a fucking hornet's nest inside of the door frame. <laughs> Apparently I haven't been driving it enough that the hornets are, are taking it over. And, yeah. So he fucking just leaned into it and they fucking gave him a little love. And um, the hornets are no longer with us, by the way. They were, I, the oh, man, that oh. bee spray is beautiful. Well, that's, there's your excuse right there. It's like, oh, hey, I need to go drive for Crown Vic around so don't give me more hornets in it. Right. Uh, dude, <laughs> I need tires so fucking bad. I'm like, uh, I have so many other bills. Do I fucking, oh my yeah. God. And the, the hubcaps are starting to get rusted. Deep. And it's, I don't yeah. know. I, I got some choices, decisions to make on that old Vic, man. Yeah. I've that's actually even thought about auctioning it for charity, but um, I, I just yeah. I love it so much. It'd be hard to get rid of, but we'll see. Enough about me. I got. I need to bring back the belt question. I, I don't know if you've listened to the, the podcast. Yeah. I yes. asked about. Uh, we're trying to get some information out there about how people poop on duty. W what do you do? Oh man, belt comes all the way off. Belt comes all the way off. Uh, sometimes if, if it's if there's not a lot going on, I'll even take the shirt and vest off too, man. You do the and old I mean, Costanza, huh? <laughs> yeah. Depending on where I'm at, right? If I'm at the fire station, because fire stations have clean bathrooms, or if I'm at my actual station, yeah, I'll take the vest and shirt off if there's nothing going on. But anywhere else, I'll just take the, the belt off. But yes, the belt always comes off. I I I don't know. I I I'm weird about it. I just thought it was so much quicker, and especially if you're shitting somewhere that was sketchy. <laughs> and some of us with IBS, we don't really have a choice where we're going to shit. That's so. very true. You know, I want, I want my gun. I want that thing on me. You know what I mean? I don't want my belt somewhere else where if I need, you know, so that's why you said you take your gun out of the holster and put it on the toilet paper dispenser next to you. I don't, but then it's, but then it's not controlled, man. I don't know. It's in a stall with you behind a locked door, right? A locked door. Come on, man. Like a two-year-old <laughs> could break into that. Okay. Air quotes are unlocked. Yeah. Come on. Um, you know, what if, I don't know, what if, like, what if some little kid crawls into the toilet stall? By the way, that's one of my favorite fucking Instagram videos. What is it? The kid, like, crawls under the toilet and is, like, oh. for his parents or whatever. Have you seen that one? I think so. Or he's, like, do you have any games on your phone? I don't, I'll have to find the video, but it's so fucking, like, it makes me uncomfortable because this guy's just trying to take a shit and this little kid, like, you know, you know, just fucking crawls under the fucking door. <laughs> oh, have you seen that one? I don't think so. I've seen something similar. But it was like a dressing room. No, it was, I'll, I'll see if I can find it. Um, oh, yeah. 
All right. Well, hey, man, it's all, it's all about getting the information out there. So I, I may not be right on this. Do what, do what works for you. I, I tried it one time without taking the belt off, and it was such a pain in the ass. So I was like, no, I'm not doing this again. Fair enough. It's, it's not a pain in the ass. You just don't know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Now, here's the most important question. Nobody cares about your OAS. Nobody cares about your FTO experience or what we think about it. Nobody cares about me thinking the country needs to stop fighting. Everybody really wants to know, Squirrely Dan, have you ever shit your pants? I was waiting for this question. I'm ashamed to say I have not as an adult, um, as a kid, you know, even like 10, 11 years old. Yes. As an adult, no, I've had a lot of near misses. Uh, you know that you're like, all of a sudden you're like, uh-oh. This, you know, you feel that little bit come out. You kind of skid mark your drawers. Uh, but I have not shit my pants. As hold on. Hold, 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 hold on. Oh, does that count? We need to make a distinction here. And maybe maybe this needs to be a poll. I'm a firm believer that if anything touches fabric, <laughs> it, you shit your pants. Because okay, it's well, still it's shit. Oh, true. Now, I, I thought you were talking about like actually like dump the load in your underwear. <laughs> I think most people have done that, but I think everyone's left skid marks. Yeah, pretty sure everybody's left skid marks. Yeah, everybody goes racing every once in a while. Exactly. I'm glad I cleared that up for everybody. Yeah, we'll then now, if, if that's the standard, then yes, I have. Welcome. Um, <laughs> I, I really feel like instead of humanizing shitting the pants oh shit that reminds me somebody bought the t-shirt and sent a picture to me i'm gonna fucking have to put it up it's good but instead of humanizing the shit eating the pants really all i'm doing is giving people a complex and <laughs> no people never thought about it before in their life and yeah. now they listen to me two times a week sometimes ask people if they shit their pants and now it's in their head and i feel like i've caused more accidents than made people feel better about it like a little reverse psychology <laughs> maybe i don't know <laughs> well buddy we we've come to the the conclusion of this podcast have any imparting words of wisdom for the millions of others out there the millions of others yeah um that's something i've actually thought about you know just like i said listen to your podcast for a long time i hear this question often and uh actually it's not one thing it's kind of three quick things um the first is just never stop learning, right? At the end of the day, you are responsible for what you're supposed to know in your level of training, right? I tell guys all the time, don't depend on the department. If you got to go to class on your own, dude, just never stop learning. There's always something else you can learn. Um, the next one is, we already kind of talked about it, but take your own initiative, right? You don't have to rely on supervisors for everything. Make your own decisions as long as within policy, within law, within your know, common sense. But don't be afraid to make the decision to do it. And then the last one I had is, man, just give it your best. Just give it your best effort. You know, we already kind of talked about the you know, half-ass investigation and stuff. But even if it's a simple call, you know, just give it your best effort. You know, people are expecting that from you when they call you. They don't want somebody with a bad attitude showing up, you know, griping at them and leaving, not helping their problems. Do it your best effort. You know, nothing is beneath you as an officer, right? Your purpose at the end of the day is to serve and protect the community. 
And that's what you get paid for the most part, a decent amount of money to do. So the only thing would be to just, just handle up on it. Hell yeah, brother. I still don't have the sound. Bite. <laughs> Before we move on, I, I wanted to touch on something that I, I've wanted to bring up on the podcast a bunch of times and it just hasn't happened, but you brought it up as far as going to outside training. Um, mm-hmm. I've kind of, unfortunately arguing on the internet never really works out and nobody really gets their point across and people get more upset than they should again raise my hand i'm guilty of it um but you know even some pages that i really like have kind of done some rounds on this and i just want people to my perspective on that again my soapbox apparently again this podcast is my my in a perfect world i i think police departments need to be providing better training to their cops and they need to be sending their training to cop their cops sending their training to cops. They need to be, I've had a few too many, buddy cops need better training. I I think everybody will argue that like any, I think everybody's on the same side of that. Like cops need more training. Cops are like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll take better training. But, but again, that's my expectations. I I think the police departments need to be, doing the right things as far as sending their guys to training, not making them pay for it, all that shit. Now, fitness standards, like a lot of people are like, look, man, I'm fat right now. It's fucking embarrassing. Cops shouldn't be fat. Nobody really should be fat if we're, if we're being honest. Now there's always exceptions and totally, you know, some people just have, you know, they're fat because of medical reasons or whatever That, that happens sometimes, but for the most part, none of us should be fat. Okay. We all have a choice not to fucking pick up that spoon. Everybody has a different metabolism. I don't want to hear about it. You have to, you have to deal with the choices that you have. My metabolism, maybe it sucks. Okay. That's, that's something I have to deal with. Right. Like it's like, if I, if I was born without, you know, an appendage, that's, that's something I have to deal with. I don't want anybody feeling sorry for me. Right. So if you're fat like me, let's fucking get up and go for a walk. I'm going to go for a walk after this podcast. I love stumbling around drunk around town when I'm drunk. So go for a fucking walk. Okay. But when it comes to all this outside, like there's a responsibility to be fit and be prepared and train and stuff, but I don't want people taking so much, you know, you work your 40 hours on the street and then on top of that, you're doing, you know, and I'm talking besides going to the gym, obviously, or, or doing whatever you do to work out, but you know, then you're taking an additional, you know, 10, 20, 15 hours a week to go do outside training. Now, if you don't have kids or, or whatever, I, you know, I'm not here to judge everybody's individual life. Everybody that makes the best decision for you, but just remember that that 40 hours of being a cop is a lot because it's being a cop. And yeah. Just again, enjoy the time with your family. Like I'm not saying to go, don't go out outside training or sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you have to make that sacrifice, but just be yeah. careful and be wary of how much time you're spending. Be a good cop, be safe, be a well-trained cop, but trying to find that difficult balance is what I, I try to say, but I usually, you know, get mad and argue on the internet. Absolutely. And I think more what I meant was don't wait for the department to send you to a class. When you see it available at like the police Academy or if a, like a, a lot of our neighboring departments will put out to the local agencies, you know, Hey, we're having this class um, put in for it. Right. That's one thing I was told early on. Put in for everything and let the department tell you no. Don't hold yourself back and saying, oh, they're not going to send me. Put in for it anyway. You may get to go. You get to go some cool stuff. Um, and 
uh, that's what I tell my guys a lot. You know, it's like I sit them down and I show them the, the state website and like these are the classes you have to take within this amount of time. These are classes you have to take to advance your level of licensing. Um, and nobody shows them that. And I, I had to learn that the hard way myself. And that's what I mean by be responsible for your own training. Make sure you have your classes within the time frame you have to have them and that you don't get caught up in something. Uh, and, and, you know, I've gone to outside classes on my own time that the department didn't send me to. And like I said, I have no kids, nothing like that. So I, I have that flexibility. Um, I have, you know, street cop training classes. You, you talked about them before. They're fantastic. I've been to several of their classes. Well, two of them I went to totally on my own time because my department was going to send me to them. And I made, you know, I made it work for me. I made a little vacation out of it kind of thing. And, you know, I, I wanted the knowledge. Like, I don't, I don't care if it's not going to show up my training record. Whatever. I wanted the knowledge to make me better. And so I was willing to put forth that. Like you said, everybody's different. Everybody's got a different situation. Um, you know, one thing I do is I'm a nerd. So I like learning about case law and stuff like that. And, you know, most every cop works a side job, right? A traffic job or something. You're just sitting there, you know, instead of watching Netflix, look up case law, you know, read something about DBI enforcement or something like that. Something that maybe you want to learn more about instead of watching, you know, trailer park. Hey, Netflix. <laughs> Don't you dare interrupt trailer park boy time. <laughs> How dare you? I'm just saying, maybe no, I, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, maybe occasionally pause Netflix, open a book or look something up, you'll build it into your schedule, make it work for you. So um, that's just my little two cents. Yeah, I think sometimes I make these grandiose state, you know, these grandiose statements, but it, it's not, we're not in a utopian society. So you, there is a responsibility on you to, you know, be the good cop you can't rely on your department to do that stuff but i just i advocate like you know i don't i don't necessarily shit on people for you know hey man I, i'm gonna stay home and, and do some shit with my kids because i you know like i, I mentioned oh, yeah. times, i've missed out on a lot of time with my kids and i will never get that time back and that was you know working off duty jobs and things like that so balance it go get the training you need training you want you know go to bjj all that stuff but you know don't forget about your kids too that's my tip. absolutely like I said, right now I don't have kids. I don't have a wife. I'm single, um, so I can. You're do a more fucking handsome man. How are you not fucking married, having babies? I, I don't know, man. It's not like for lack of trying. She um, wanted, do you want Should we do a dating game and try and hook you up with some badge bunnies? We'll see. That is, that's such a t- terrible idea. It is a terrible idea. Well, um, let's be honest, man. And this is going to sound completely fucked up, but. Well, I don't know. Maybe it would work. I, I don't know. Like, because I tried with my, I tried with a, a gal. And, I, yeah. you know, if you listen to that podcast, it, I really do <laughs> want to do the dating game. If actually, if somebody legit wants to do it and you work in an area where there's enough people, hit me up. I'll fucking do it. We'll have fun. So I, I think it could be a blast. An option. But absolutely. Uh, like I was talking about burnout earlier, man. I just had to cut back. I had to cut back on the overtime, on duty. Um, I've got no point where I don't really need it. And so I work less, you know, I have hobbies outside of work. Um, you know, I, some weeks I may work a little extra, but then the next week I won't work so much. You know, I try and balance it all out. Um, and one thing we didn't talk about, like, you know, we, we talked about my shooting kind of death, but I didn't really have a whole lot of effects from that. But, um, we, you know, we talked about anxiety and stress. 
I deal with that constantly. You know, I didn't find out until like last year that I have ADHD and anxiety. And um, it, you know, I went through some stuff the last few months in my personal life. And, you know, I'll tell anybody right now, I'm going to therapy. I see a therapist, you know, every two, three weeks to deal with um, the, the stress and dealing with that and learning how to, you know, just better equip myself with tools for dealing with that. And as we talked about officers, you know, 25, 30 years, they get out and a year later, they're dead from a heart attack. Um, we're becoming more cognizant of that. And that's a good thing that our profession is doing from moving in that direction. And yeah, I can see a therapist every couple of weeks. My therapist is badass. She cusses more than I do. And she doesn't bullshit me. She holds me accountable. Is he going to be like a stepbrother's situation where you try and hook up with the therapist? <laughs> no, 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 not like that. I'm just no, trying to help a brother out, man. <laughs> no, it's not like that. But I like said a good therapist. I don't know if you and Ten Eight talked about this. He, he, I know. I remember he said he took him a couple tries to find one. You know, don't be afraid to get help. Like I was talking about earlier, man. It's no big deal to ask for help. You know, people like I said people want to shit talk. Man, fuck them. It's your life, right? You're the one that's be sitting there with a gun in your head, deciding if I'm going to kill myself or not. Not them. If you need help, get it. Don't be afraid. Own that shit. You know, you, you know, your ankle's hurting, your back's hurting. What do you do? You go to a doctor. Well, your brain's hurting. You go into a specialist in that area. And I know there's stigma still attached to it and all that. I get it. But I've gotten to the point where I don't care. I will own that shit every day. And if you want to make fun of me for that, maybe you have some issues you need to deal with. That's just me. Yeah. You know what? Fuck them. Can't make everybody happy. <laughs> Exactly. You can't make everybody happy. It's your life. You have to deal with the shit going on in your head, not them. Fuck them. Handle your stuff. Absolutely. Well, buddy, thanks again, man. I had a, a great time fucking talking chop with you, man. You're, Bless. I, it was Bless. a good, good time, man. Good time. It so you guys, you guys know what to do. If you want these podcasts to continue, do the things that you guys are doing to make this podcast possible. Click the little link at the end and become a monthly donor. Uh, I know... Things are tight right now and we're in the greatest recovery of all time. But, you know, a few bucks sent this way really helps out and helps keep the lights on down here. And, uh, of course, go buy yourself some fucking fine merch. And I'd love if you guys have merch and you're wearing it out and about, fucking take some pictures, snap some pictures, man. It, it helps me out greatly. I'll throw them up in my story if you want clout and I'll even tag you. And then, of course, take care of the fine sponsors because without them, I'd have to go get a real job. So with that said, remember, it's all bullshit. And I love most of you. Bye-bye. Bye. Did you say bye to you? Nobody else has said bye. I'm so proud of you.